Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. The story of the Leon, the family that were wiped out and the mother, the mammy, at the funeral yesterday would melt a heart of stone. It really and truly would. And at the funeral mass yesterday, um, she really opened up uh, in such a beautiful, beautiful way. Uh, Geraldine uh, Milan, as she said goodbye to her husband, John, her son, Tomas, uh, and her daughter, Amelia. Oh, my God, when I was listening and reading the court, the, um, the funeral uh, coverage from the papers uh, yesterday and indeed listening to uh, some journalists that were there, I thought I was going to just break down and cry. The mourners inside, all of them, you know, obviously there was restrictions inside the church, but the mourners outside uh, could hear and had to wipe away tears as Geraldine said a final farewell to her family. And all of the papers carry it this morning, some of them on their front page. Uh, she talks uh, in, in detail of her love of her children and her and her late husband. The car plunged into Loch Foyle in County Donegal last Thursday. They were on a day trip away, the family. Uh, John was 49, the kids, Tomas was 14, and his six-year-old sister, Amelia, and all of the papers uh, quote Mammy this morning. Um, she was uh, coming back with them. Uh, the car went into the water. Uh, everything went against them that night. She said there was a high tide. There was water on the road. There was roadworks. Uh, there was slippery road conditions. And John was the safest of drivers. She said there was no speed. There was no reckless driving. She says, I have no answers, but I can picture that, ne- that night, second by second. In seconds, our lives changed completely, she said. Um, she said this in the church yesterday. At half past nine on Thursday, August the 20th, my life was changed for the worst. We landed upside down in the water and my dear, dear husband could not get out and was pinned in due to his injuries. She also told uh, the the, uh, the mourners there uh, that her son was there uh, for his sister, Amelia, even in their final moments. And she said, everyone knew Tomas was the perfect big brother. And when the divers found him, he had his arms wrapped around his little sister. My God almighty, it's dreadful. It's just awfully tragic. She paid tribute to her husband, who was due to turn 50 in a couple of weeks' time. It was a dream of his, apparently, to go to Cape Canaveral, but COVID meant that they couldn't do that. But for his 50th, um, herself and the kids had wrapped 50 little presents and hid them all around the house. And, of course, he'll never get to open those presents. But she said what she will do is she'll go out to Ballybrack Cemetery and she'll sing him a happy birthday. I mean, it's just awfully, awfully sad. And she said to everybody at um, the funeral and everybody listening, or I suppose even listening to me talking about it this morning, she said, um, hug your family and love them like as if today is your last day. Nothing else really matters in the papers today because everything else really just pales into insignificance when you have a story like that. And one thing, I'm sorry, I'm going to start on such a negative note, a sad note this morning, but... It needs sharing. Um, there are other stories in the papers, of course, and, and ultimately this will go away. You know, Golfgate will just go away. It'll get less and less coverage and it'll disappear. But there are still a few strings to the bow or a few people still hanging on by a thread. Uh, amongst them, uh, of course, uh, Phil Hogan. Apparently now it turns out that he went back into Kildare twice after the golf. He went back there and he, he stayed overnight. So the mail this morning is saying Hogan hangs by a thread. Uh, Sean O'Rourke was due to go back working for RTE. That's been axed now. They've decided and he's agreed it's best to go their separate ways uh, because of uh, Golfgate. And uh, the Supreme Court is now ordering uh, an investigation into Seamus Wolfe's, the former Attorney General, Seamus Wolfe's Judge Seamus 
famous Wolf's presence at the Oireachtas golf event. The Supreme Court now is probing that while the EU Commission is looking into Phil Hogan. So two people whose fate hangs in the balance. Although I don't know what you do with the judge uh, because other judges or even an inquiry um, can't sack a judge. The only people that can sack a judge is the Oireachtas. Uh, and I believe that the Oireachtas can only remove a judge for misbehaviour. But would this be deemed as misbehaviour? But anyway, Hogan's defying the Taoiseach. He's not going anywhere, he says. Um, and he's not, he's not quitting. So we'll have to see what Europe has to say about that. But there was a doctor at the, um, at the dinner afterwards who went on Claire FM yesterday. And he said that um, his patients are not at any risk because of his going to the dinner. He's insisted that he would not put his patients at risk during the pandemic. Uh, but he did apologise unreservedly, unreservedly for attending the dinner in Galway. Uh, on Claire FM yesterday. Mind you, another uh, a retired senior judge is saying, uh, don't hound good people uh, out of jobs. Um, he's saying good people shouldn't be hounded out of office for one serious mistake. So we'll have to see where that one goes in the coming days now. Um, COVID obviously dominates all of the newspapers today and obviously COVID dominates Golfgate as well. Vulnerable teachers who are putting on their their lives on the line going back to work need to be remembered, according to the ASTI. And the schools start to go back today, actually. And if you're wondering if your child has a runny nose, should he or she be sent to school? This morning, um, those those experts are saying that a runny nose isn't enough to keep your child at home. And parents have been told you can send your children to school with a runny nose, but not with a cough, not with a cold or not with a temperature. If a child coughs now inside in a class... They'll be whipped out fairly sharpish, I can tell you. And of course, we all had different uh, sacrifices to make over the past five or six months. And when you look at every com- com- every family in Ireland and try and work out the average amount that they lost um, because of cancellations, apparently, according to the Independent, it comes in at €700 Euro, uh, per family. That's what people have lost because of, you know, big life events. It could be 700 euro because of, you know, going to or attending a wedding or, you know, cancelling a holiday or stuff like that. So it's coming in on, on average at 700 euro, which is kind of strange, really, having spoken to people on this program who lost two, three and four times that just on a holiday alone. Papers also say today that, uh, and this is a story from the Echo, it picks on me on yesterday's conversations we had about um, two thirds of pubs that are now closed and can't open will be gone bust and will never open in the new year. Uh, and um, the Echo talks about that this morning and speaks with more publicans who say, you know, this is just going one way and that is bankruptcy for a lot of them. And then that incredible story of the five teens uh, who saved a father and, and son down off Fountainstown when, when they were in the rib at the time and they wheeled over in the, they wheeled over in the rib and saved the life of uh, dad and son. They make all of the papers today and I hope to have a conversation with them a little later on this morning. But there's a lot of food related stuff um, and things you might want to bear in mind. Apparently there is no safe amount of tea and coffee during pregnancy. I mean, it was bad enough saying you couldn't have a glass of red wine. But now apparently they're saying pregnant women um, should stay off caffeine altogether. Maybe you do already. Maybe you already knew this. And this is you know, just reconfirming what you already know. But they say that caffeine intake raises the risk of miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, and could affect baby weight. So uh, it's a danger to your health, yeah? Well, if you have too much of it, but the real danger is to baby. And also, the papers say, if you're vegan, you have the poorest diet of them all. According to The Sun today, they had a look at what vegans eat, and it's microwave meals, pastries, cakes, sugary drinks, and cereals. Way too much of it. The rest of it, I suppose, is vegetables, isn't it? Um, 
But apparently, it's not a good diet for you with regards to general all-round health. If you are a vegan now and you would like to discuss that or indeed argue that it's wrong, get in touch. Text 0868104106. Do you know, um, do you know the soap operas? When the soap operas all come back, will they, will they come back with storylines about COVID or will the soap operas pretend that there's no coronavirus? I don't know, you see, because I'm not watching. I don't know who's back. But I, I know that Coronation Street or EastEnders, I believe, is either coming back uh, or is back. And for the kissing scenes, they're going to put clear plastic sheets between the actors. Then they'll kiss and afterwards in the editing, they'll magically be able to remove the plastic sheeting. Not the broadcaster, the plastic sheeting. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Anyway, lines are open at 1850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. We got some of the views of uh, one of the government parties yesterday morning uh, in the shape of uh, Minister Michael McGrath. It was saying this will ultimately just fizzle away, but it has some way to play just yet, of course. And I want to get the thoughts of uh, the opposition, joined by phone by uh, Leader of the Opposition, Leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. Mary Lou, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, it's extraordinary, actually, when you think of this story, straight off the bat, that 81 or 82 people went into this room and not one of them decided it wasn't a safe place to be. Have you been given any of that, any thought? Like, do you think that some of them would have left, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, when I first uh, heard of this Galway event, I, I think it was the straw, the last straw for very many people. To be honest with you, Neil, my first thoughts were when I saw, I heard of those scenes in Clifton, I was reminded very much of the Galway tent of old and the accumulated numbers there, you know. The old guard of seeing a fallen Fine Gael and all, all of the, the worst negative image of Irish political and public life. And I think, aside from the concerns, and you've raised them there, you know, why didn't somebody say, hold on a minute, there's 80 odd of us here? Um, but quite apart from that, and the obvious public anger and concern in terms of of the virus. I mean, a scene like that, even if there was no virus, is to my mind just completely inappropriate and really, really damaging to political life. When you talk of the Galway tent, are you, are you, are you bringing up the same old, same old Galway tent because there was, um, ministers there, TDs, councillors, a judge, broad people from media, there was, uh, bank lobbyists, all the kind. I don't know if there were any property developers in there though, Mary Lou, so they would have been missing. I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think there were, but if there were, certainly we should know that, but it's just that same, jaded narrative from the political establishment that I think the vast, vast majority of Irish people um, want to see the back of and in fact might fairly have thought, well, that day is over and that doesn't happen anymore. Now, mind you, in the last election, as your listeners will know, the winds of change swept through the electoral system and the old guard repositioned themselves to see that off. And we've discussed that before. Neil. Yeah, but haven't you been um, given a major gift now? Um, it's like a gift horse, or or is this way too serious to be looking at political gain out of this, or what? It, well, it is, and let me tell you what what the the issue now is. The issue now is that we're trying to get our kids safely back to school. Uh, we're looking at the leaving cert results now to be delivered on the seventh of of uh, September. I heard your <clears throat> earlier uh, commentary on the papers. 
and the prospect of bankruptcy for many, very many businesses. I think you were citing pubs, but there are other businesses that are under real, real pressure. People who haven't gotten back to work, people who might not get back to work. And the point is for us to manage all of those things and to actually create calm rather than anger amongst the, the public that we serve. We need a government that actually knows what it's doing. We need a government that is coherent and united. It strikes me that the government we have at the minute, and let's face it, they went to every effort to keep others out, to keep Sinn Féin in particular out. But in any event, it strikes me that it's a a government that is more built on on, um, competition and um, rivalry rather than any real unity of purpose. saying if this level, is the way Fianna Fáil do business, we won't be doing business for long kind of thing, is it? Well, gosh, but I mean, it, it's also the, the, the long-running um, theme from within government that there's a, a rivalry, even as regards who, in effect, in reality, is in charge, who really is the Taoiseach. And for political anoraks, that might be a fascinating thing. You know, the political correspondents or even political, you know, people, activists watching it might be fascinated by that dynamic. But I have to tell you, it's not serving the people well. Yeah, but how, like if I, you were I, in government, how would you be handling COVID differently or the schools or jobs or the pubs or the businesses falling off a cliff? Well, well let, me give you, let me give you a concrete example. Uh, the government has steadfastly refused to publish this algorithm um, that they have as to how... Um, grading, these estimated grades will be arrived at. And they know that this has been deeply problematic elsewhere. They know that elsewhere it proved to disadvantage students from from uh, lower so socioeconomic groups, mm. from, from less privileged backgrounds. They know all of this. We need to have a look at that algorithm. We need to assure ourselves before the uh, results are returned on the 7th of September that actually we're getting it right, that the mechanism that's being employed is fair. Uh, but they, they won't publish that algorithm. My, my colleague, the, the Corkman, Dalach O'Leary, has been, has been shouting for this now. That's for, right. For I, dealt with it on, I dealt with him on, on air last week on that topic. So, yeah, okay, we're they're, uh, they're besides, refusing to do it. Okay, but, but so besides even, publishing even, an algorithm, but how but would you handle, would you, have, would you have handled COVID differently to Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil? Let me finish out the algorithm point just briefly. Not alone will they not publish it, but listening to the Taoiseach, uh, Micheál Martin, over the weekend, it seems that the algorithm is not yet decided. I mean, I have to tell you, that makes me very uh, anxious and, and, and very nervous. On the issue of school returns more generally, and I know these are difficult circumstances. And by the way, I know boards of management and teachers and others have, have invested a huge amount of work. But we still have lack of basic guidance and planning for our schools. So, for example, uh, I have lost count of the numbers of, of parents who don't know exactly what happens if there is an outbreak or a cluster in the school. How is that handled? How is that managed? It's imperative that parents have that knowledge now to, to give them a sense of security sending their kids uh, back to school. But sure, if there was an outbreak in a school, it would close. Well, it would it. That, that is not clear. 
that has not been stated clearly and plainly as as you have said that on the on the airway. Okay, okay. That's not the position. So we need we need clarity on on school. Making my point for me. Okay, we need clarity on schools returning. We need clarity on the leaving certificate results because they'll affect so many people's life choices. But with regards to COVID in general and the different stages that we went through, would you have changed any of those? Well, I think that. when it, it, it had been clear for a long time that we had problems in the meat plants. Like that had been raised for weeks and months. It was raised by by Stanley, many of my colleagues, but others from, from across the political okay. spectrum. Okay. And it was given the deaf ear and a problem was allowed to develop and grow and get into the community. Likewise, with direct provision centres, <clears throat> people in politics have been raising this. It's not that the government didn't know. They did know. And, and why do you think they didn't react to the meat processing plants? Well, I, I suspect that they were probably uh, very concerned uh, about the commercial aspect of the meat plants, perhaps rather than the, the health and safety aspects. I'm surmising. Why I can't would that speak be, though? Because behalf. they shut all of the pubs. Would they not have been concerned about that section of the economy? Well, well, they all I can do, and you need to put that to them, uh, Neil, but uh, all I can say to you is that there was a marked and dramatic difference in terms of how these two sectors of the economy uh, were, were dealt with. Now, the, pr- the problem is this. The problem is that if you're not prepared to go in and if you're, if you're not using the Health and Safety Authority inspection regime effectively, and if it's not on the ball and busy, and, and being very interventionist, not just in the meat plants, but right across the economy, um, you're going to store up trouble. If you're not prepared to say out loud, it is in this precise sector, in this precise place that we have a problem, and we are now in fi- sorting it out. And if you can't do that quickly, uh, the difficulty is that you end up where Leash and Offaly and Kildare landed. Let me say this to you also, because you know we've talked uh, since the beginning of this crisis about testing tracing, isolating. It's been the mantra from the word go. From the World Health Organization, it's what we need to do. And yet, um, when the, the the surge came in recent weeks, um, the Minister for Health tells us that we had a problem again in our capacity to turn around testing in a timely fashion, in the kind of speedy fashion that we need. Now, Are you saying that has been happening? Well, it, it's been happening too slowly. And yeah. I mean, the minister himself conceded that. So you have to scratch your head and say, nobody, none of us think that this virus is going to go away. I think all of us know that it, we are going to be living with it for whatever length of time and that we need to manage risk. And we need to keep people well. We know central to that is testing, tracing and isolating. Okay. We know that we need the capacity for that. So how in the name of God was it that the government allowed that capacity, the core, the centrepiece of keeping people safe at school and at work, that that was allowed, it seems, um, to fall into abeyance or to go to sleep uh, over a period of weeks simply because the numbers were low. Okay. okay, So we did testing, leaving certificates, schools and meat plants, so they're the critical aspects. But where we're at right now with everybody on holidays, it's proposed now that the dog comes back early. Is is that like (laughs) next week or when? And what will happen when the dog comes back? Well, I spoke to the Taoiseach on Thursday, on Friday. And at that stage, I was putting it to him that we should be back today. Um, when I spoke to him initially, he said that he would not be recalling the doll at all, 
uh, full stop. I, I'm glad that they have revised that position and it seems now that we're going to be back uh, next Wednesday. But but I have to tell you, there's absolutely no reason uh, to keep us away until next Wednesday. In fact, there was every reason to bring us back now. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, um, that great public anger and, and unease that has crystallised. I don't think it was necessary or caused by uh, Galway, but that has crystallised at that point. Uh, we can't manage a crisis situation when people are either angry or bewildered or unnerved. We need to create some level of calm. And that means all of politics needs to step forward. It means the people, the people that we serve, who employ us, that we work for, need to see us at work. At work. So you, hear but, okay. what the politics... But with regards, to the people secondly, who, with regards to the people who serve, many of those that were there on that evening are paid from the public purse. TDs, um, uh, retired members of the government, retired politicians on pensions, councillors, senators. Um, what should happen with them now? Should they, is it, are you calling for them to be sacked? No, I haven't, I haven't called for that. I have uh, called for people, obviously, to be um, accountable. And, and that for different people means different things. So, for example, let's take the example of the Supreme Court judge who was in attendance. In some ways, that is maybe regarded as less serious than politicians, but in some respects, it's more serious because the administration of justice is absolutely essential. Public confidence in it is absolutely essential. And a Supreme Court judge should not be at an Aroxas golf gig. Virus or no virus. Now, the, the leadership in the judiciary need to address how do you sort that out. Well, they can't do anything. They can't sack a judge. Only the well, Oireachtas no, they, can. They can't, but they, but they are they are a, a body to themselves. I, 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 would, I think and I certainly hope that they understand uh, the value of reputation in the work that they do. I, I think they know that. Well, are I you saying that... that reason that the former Chief Justice has now been tasked with carrying out this review. But I mean, the, the bigger take-home message, quite apart from this specific instance, is that we need an independent judiciary and judges should not be at Iraqis golf dues. And by the way, in my view, a, a group of TDs and senators, if they wish to golf together, golf is a great sport, by all means do, but they shouldn't be calling it an Iraqis golf club or society. It shouldn't. It shouldn't take that time. Was anybody in Sinn Féin I- I- invited to play golf? No, actually, and let me tell you, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, to be quite frank with you, do you play um, golf? And I don't. I play pitch and putt right. very poorly on okay. occasion, okay. but now and ever, I've nothing against golf. Golf is a great sport, and many great, great Irish golfers. And, and I know and that's so for another day. But what, how come does no I, one in Sinn Féin play golf? Well, I don't know. I mean, Piers Doherty tells me that he knew of the Golfing Society simply because he had seen a picture um, of some of its members uh, on a wall with um, with one of the the banking collapse bankers in their midst holding a trophy or something. So he wrote to the authorities at the time and said, "Please remove this photograph." But I, I, I that that went over. So not only do they not want to go into government with you or talk to you, they don't want to play golf with you either. Well, I don't know. Maybe if I, if we, if we all applied to join the golfing society, perhaps they would disband it. Who's to say? But um, the one way to get rid of it event, is to apply for membership. I, exactly. But uh, the point that I'm making is, 
for the for the this is a small society and Irish people are friendly people and people know people and you knock into people and that's unavoidable when you live on a, on a small island like ours but there have to be lines of delineation and for a member of the bench a senior member of the bench to be in or or attending an Oireachtas um uh, golfing it clearly is is um not appropriate and particularly since all of the politicians correctly and particularly those in government cite the issue of the separation of... But well, what are you saying is not appropriate? Therefore, no. are you saying that the Supreme Court Justice Seamus Wolf should resign? I think all options have to be on the, the table for him and I, I await well, and I... I'm what are the options? It's only stay or go, the, isn't the things, it? No, no, the things I have cited, the thing I have cited for you, the, the separation of powers is an important principle. That's why he shouldn't have been at the golf too. Um, and I think we need to wait now and allow um, the former Chief Justice to carry out her review. And then I think we need to see leadership from from the judiciary itself. Its reputation has been damaged. And they, in the first instance, need to uh, establish their next move. Oh. And of course, if that falls short or um, if they're not prepared, if, if, if it's not credible... Uh, what what they come back with, and I hope that won't be the case. Well, then you're quite correct to say that the Oireachtas does have an option to move. Okay, there was a doctor there who then went back to deal with his patients, uh, by all accounts, yeah. down, down in Clare. So he's got a lot to answer for. Uh, but so does so so does Phil Hogan. But he's he's dug his heels in. Um, he do, has, do you yeah. do you know Phil Hogan? Is is that the way he does business? He just hunkers down and lets it all wash over him. Yeah, he seems to do that. I, I wouldn't claim to know him well uh, at all. I, I haven't had huge amounts of, of dealings uh, with him. Um, but the, the piece that uh, strikes me about this this particular piece of the story is that it seems that the commissioner might be prepared to face down the Irish government. I mean, the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach initially made clear that they had no confidence in him, that he, they wished him to consider his position. In other words, that he had to go. Uh, if a government say that, and, and the Taunishta being the former Taoiseach uh, who, and the party that had made the appointment of Phil Hogan, that being the case, I think it's extraordinary if the commissioner would face them down in that manner. I think it, it really undermines, again, their authority in a very significant way. Um, but they had made the call for him to consider his position. And then over the weekend, they said something else. And even yesterday on the airwaves, you had one government minister saying that he should go and that the government had no confidence in him, which I understood to be their position. And then they should change that. So even on this matter, we have another model. Uh, and I but if you, were Taoiseach, if you were Taoiseach, in what way would you handle it differently? Bearing in mind that Hogan well, I, isn't I answerable think, to the Irish Oireachtas. Yes. No, and I, I, I absolutely appreciate that. I think whoever is Taoiseach, you need to assess the situation, balance things out, and you need to make a clear-cut decision. And it's, it's, it's do you have confidence or do you not as the government? And they, they had given us to believe that they had landed on the position that they had lost confidence. No, they said he should consider Phil his Hogan. position. Is that as well, far as well, you would go if you were Taoiseach? Or would you say, he, you need to quit? What would you say? Neil, the, the, the convention in politics is considering your position means, you know, clear out your locker. I mean, considering your position means essentially that confidence has been lost in you. That's how it was interpreted, okay. not simply by me. Okay. I think everybody understood the government position 
as regards the commission. Here's what annoys an awful lot of people. Here's what annoys an awful lot of people is that Phil Hogan was stopped by a guard for speaking on his phone while driving. And many people called yeah. this program yesterday who got 60 euro fines and three penalty points for doing that. But yet he got a caution. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I I think that is something that will require um, some explanation. Um, I I also know that uh, there was there was echoes of of Mick Wallace and of um, other events in 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 the fact of somebody being stopped and that being reported to the political system. I know that that made some people anxious uh, as well. All of these matters... You believe be, that it shouldn't have gone up the chain of command, that that was personal business, is it, being stopped by a guard? No, I, I don't think... The Justice I, I Minister told the Taoiseach. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's personal business. I, 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 I appreciate why the information was imparted. I'm simply saying that for some people it raised a question mark more generally... Um, not specific to Phil Hogan, who is a public figure, but more generally uh, in terms of the sharing of information like that uh, with politicians. And I think that's a legitimate query in the midst of what is just a a complete... I mean, the whole thing is just a mess, Neil. Uh, And my bigger concern, notwithstanding the seriousness of all of the issues that we have now rehearsed, it is much more important that we get our children back to school. I got safety. that, I got we, that, how and ever. We don't have another shambles. I, I, I know that, but I'm just monitor, I'm monitoring texts school. coming in before we sure. wrap up, and a huge amount of them are talking about two different things. One of them, of course, is the funeral that you attended in the North. Now, I know if you've addressed this okay. uh, on numerous times, yeah. but I want to bring it to your attention because I'm getting an awful lot of people here. Total sure. hypocrisy. Mary Lou attended the funeral of a major IRA figure, Bobby Story, uh, saying she would have done so if she was Taoiseach even. Um, beating the drum, uh, Mary Lou, but not doing as you're supposed to do. Uh, you're as bad as the rest of them. There are many, many like that. Um, so people in glass houses, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I would simply say that I, I do not believe that there is any equivalence between a funeral, the funeral of anyone, and a golfing shindig. I just, I don't accept that those things uh, can be matched. In yeah, why, w- and at the time... Well, n- numbers are numbers, though. Hang on a second. My, my mother-in-law yeah. died. There was 10 of us in the church. Yeah. Two and months when, ago. When, and at the story funeral, and uh, the, the, the family had asked me to read, to do one of the readings at Bobby's funeral mass, which I was more than happy to do. And um, in the church, the guidelines of the day were uh, applied. People were masked. There were minimal numbers in the church. So that was a control. Yeah, but outside it was very different, well. wasn't it? I know, but look, can I tell you, I mean, and, and it, it wasn't unique in the lockdown period when it is a figure who is a, a public figure. I mean, a huge figure in Belfast and beyond. People came out onto the streets. And by the way, your your listeners will know when friends and, and neighbours, and it's been absolutely traumatising for every and any family to lose somebody at this time. People lined the streets and the highways and byways to pay their respects and say their goodbyes. I understand the concern because the numbers were... No, but we were asked to stay away from large gatherings and you didn't. And that's what's annoyed people. If you had your time back again, would you have done it the same way? Would you have gone? Um, Well, look, I I think if the organisers and and, um, I I, I imagine the family who, by the way, are are still in, in mourning... Um, I, I would imagine that they would would look at things and say, right, well, c- could we have cut down numbers again? Bear in mind, 
the the funeral was streamed and I think it was I know, I know, I know but I'm not, I know that that's no, fine, but no, I'm, I'm saying would you have gone that. if you had your time over a bit like a bit like Golfgate the dinner many of them who went wish to God they never had are you the same? Well, well, look, I was I was asked to. I knew Bobby well. Um, it's got a yes or no I answer, asked, really. I was asked to read at his funeral mass. No, of course I would have. I would have gone to the mass. Absolutely, of course I would have. Okay, yes. so you'd have changed nothing if you had the hindsight to go back and. Well, I, d- I didn't say that. I, I, I said that I, I would have gone and 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 paid. Um, my respects and, and have done the reading at the mass. Okay, okay. The other the other um, text that I'm getting a lot of texts as well on your Monaghan County Councillor Cathy Bennett, who went off to Lanzarote yeah. on her holidays because she couldn't get a refund from the airline. What are you going to do about her? Yeah. Well, I have asked our. Uh, we have a councillors forum in the party, um, and they are examining this matter and they'll report back to the to the next door at Corla meeting, which will happen in September. Cathy shouldn't have gone. It's as simple as that. She's well aware of that. And How is she aware of it? Did you phone her? Uh, no, I haven't been speaking to her, um, but, but others in the party have. Um, Jess Hall spoke to Dara Killeary fairly sharpish. Why wouldn't you talk to well, her? Well, Dara Killeary is a cabinet minister, um, in, in all fairness. Uh, Neil, pu- he's also a public rep, so is Cathy Bennett. So why wouldn't you pick yeah. up the phone and say to her... I will talk to 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 Cathy in due course. I, I, to tell you the truth, I have been when when all of this kicked off. Um, I was on my way back from our staycation, Lahid the Zira, whatever you wish to call it, in Wexford. So I was back and landed straight into the middle of this. In any event, Cathy shouldn't have gone, and I understand. And she's not unique, by the way, from many families who couldn't get refunds, and it's a big, big decision to make when. Your hard-earned cash has been spent and you can't go. I understand all of that. But the advice was and the guidance uh, from the party uh, was not to travel and she shouldn't have travelled. Full stop. And that's where we leave that then. Like, it seems to me that the one strain of, that goes through this, every all of these stories, are politicians. Whether they're going on holidays to Lanzarote, whether they're going in and out of Kildare, whether they're going to dinners with 81 people. What have they all got in common? Politicians. Who's breaking all of the guidelines? Politicians. You understand the anger of the public when they have okay, played ball. It, but it's, 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 it, there, there's another dimension to this because let's say... Well, that's the one common factor in all of these. Oh, no, no, I'm not, come here, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But bear in mind, the, the, the restrictions themselves are very demanding, they're difficult, and people have been hugely disciplined. But just remember this, there was also an attempt by the government some short number of weeks ago to punish people who had travelled to what are called green list countries. Now, we resisted that and challenged them on that. There was, do you remember that whole? I do. One of, just one of the many chaotic scenes uh, from, this, from this government. So uh, I think from, from the feedback that I am getting, uh, people understand that things are, are tough, that it's difficult, that people even make mistakes, but what they d- did not appreciate was the fact that this government and this system had made a very crude attempt to go after people's PUP payments on the basis of travel and took that decision and then all of the events that unfolded on but that was wrong that was absolutely wrong okay. we challenged it at the time and we will challenge that again if it happens but can I just say Neil to all of that notwithstanding we need to get the doll back We've big challenges ahead. And can I just say to people to stay well and keep safe um, and not to take a position that, sure, feck it, it doesn't matter if they're not doing it. Can I say to you, somebody who has had this virus and who fortunately is well 
again after you don't want to catch it. Yeah. You, you really don't want okay. to bring it into your home. So please, people, uh, I'm, I'm just appealing to people, notwithstanding the absolute understandable anger, you know, to to do the things that, that we all know are sensible. Well, they had a week of having, they've, they've been observing four or five days now of the typical them and us. There's yeah, I know, and, them, and it's and wrong, then there's the and rest it's not of acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and listen, the, the, the bigger point is, you see that politics of the insiders and the outsiders and Galway tents or Clifton dinners, all of that has to be in the past. The, the political, the, the winds of political change are still blowing. So we will see the back of that and, and no harm that things have come to a head and that uh, the message loud and clear has gone back to the political old guard uh, that, that that those days are over, gone and not to return. OK, thanks for taking the call. As always, Mary thanks, Lou MacDonald, Leader of the Opposition, Leader of Sinn Féin. Text 0868104106 for your thoughts on that conversation. We'll pick it up after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And you can text 0868104106. Liam is standing by. First up, Jim, good morning. Come on, Neil. Now, um, this is running and running, but ultimately it'll just fizzle out like scandal after scandal after scandal in this country. Uh, you wanted to pick up on my conversation with Mary Lou, the difference between a knees up and a funeral. In what way? Yes. First of all, um, Mary, I, I have no affiliation to any party. And it's now become evident that the present Taoiseach is in a, is in a lot of trouble. Uh, I think he's been undermined by some of his local TDs. Um, you questioned Mary Lou this morning. She very, gave very good answers. You're good at what you do. You asked a question about um, her attending the late Mr. Story's funeral. Um, my reply to that would be there is an awful difference between a piss-up and a funeral. Yeah, but it's not about whether it was a funeral or a piss-up, as you describe it. It was yes, a it gathering. Is. It was a gathering. Yes, it, no, no. It's, it's, this, is, this is a piss-up. This is a piss-up. You can, you can call over us any way you like. No, it's perfectly like, normal for people to play golf, uh, have a golf competition in the day and a dinner at night. But these are not normal times. It's not a piss-up. It's a golfing event that shouldn't have taken place. This was a a get-together of people in the judicial, uh, the doctors, doctors. You know, it's a sham. It's a sham. But but, but what are you saying? Are you saying then, therefore, that everybody should just avoid a piss-up, but all of us should go to funerals and forget about the guidelines? Just... Go to the funeral. I, I, I say we're being taught the tissue of lies, and I, meant, I mentioned the leader of Fianna Fáil. Michal Merton knew this was going on, and I have no doubt about it. He How do you know? I have, a call, I have a call in with him for the past couple of days. He hasn't come back. I have a call in with Simon Coveney. He hasn't come back. Mary Lou MacDonald did come back. Michael McGrath did come back. I have a call in with Jerry Bottomer. I hope to speak to him tomorrow. So I can't say until I speak to Michal Martin, did you know about this dinner or not? Until I speak to him. Listen, listen, listen me. When you when you when when you when you have an EU representative attending your uh, 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 in the country, as Phil Hogan was, Michal Martin knew where he, that he was here. Like Michal Martin, they're in touch, they're in contact. They have to be in contact. How do you know all of this? This me, it's common sense. They're in, they're in communication over Brexit and whatever. 
if 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 if, if the dog industry don't, can't think of that, there's something wrong. But there well, has I, to be. I, I will ask him at the first opportunity because I think it's a question that he hasn't been asked. Did you know that there was a golf outing? Did you know that there was a golf dinner afterwards? Did you know there was going to be 80-odd people at it? So I'll, I'll ask him that when time is right. I have more of a problem with the Supreme Court judge being at it, to be quite honest with you, because he's there with government representatives. God help you if you're up before a judge uh, and you're suing the state, for example. Say, for instance, a mother and father suing the state because um, their child had birth difficulties and was maybe uh, disabled, and you're suing the state, you want to be very sure that the judge is impartial up on the bench, wouldn't you? I 100% agree. So I, I, have, I have a bigger problem with that, really, well, than coming, anything else. I was coming to the judge, Neil. I was coming to the judge. That, that man is no longer fit for office. There, there should be no issue, but he, I know the government don't have the power to remove him. As far as I know, they don't have the report on removal. But how can he walk into a shop? How can he walk down the street and 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 smile at people? That you know, it's, this country is a bloody joke. And you know, you know, the, the yellow vests are taken all over the streets in the world. And it's about time that we done it here. Social distance or no social distance, we are leaving these people walk all over us. They're, 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 they're destroying us. We're asking, we're asking elderly people who walked hard all their life to cocoon again, maybe in, in the next couple of weeks, or stay at home. This is what the government are coming out with. This is a bloody disgrace. But Phil Hogan must go. Jerry Bosomars after giving up Alaska here like, or, or, or some Senate or whatever. That's uh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was paying 25000 a year. Jesus, that's only a pittance to the likes of that. That man... No, 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 he should be kicked out as well. Okay, okay, okay. The only other time that we came anywhere close to this was um, the judge, Brian Curtin. Um, he was an Irish circuit court judge who was tried for possessing images of child pornography. Do you remember that? I do. His, his court case collapsed. And then there was the question afterwards as to whether there was an issue about the, about the, the computer or something. or some, um, It collapsed anyway, right. if I remember correctly. That's right. Um, there yeah. might have something to do with a warrant or something like that. I can't remember. But then the question was whether or not Curtin was fit to serve as a judge. And there was murder over it. Political, legal disputes. I'm seeing it this morning again now on Wikipedia. There, were, he was in, there was an impeachment motion launched in the Dáil by the Justice Minister at the time, Michael McDowell. So they were going to impeach Curtin, right? To get rid of him. But he took the wind out of the sails because he resigned in 2006 on grounds of ill health. So the motion collapsed. So we've never actually got rid of a judge. And do you know, do you know, do you know why he was, why he resigned? Uh, I won't even go there now, to be quite honest no, with you, because. No, I'm, talking about, uh, well, I'm just telling you why he, he went out. He went out. No, I really won't go there because I have no idea what you're going to say. And the last thing I want is to be getting into grief with regards to uh, defaming ex-judges and bar- barristers and people like that. So I'll put you on hold. We'll find out what you want to say. And then I'll see if it's fit for saying. But meanwhile, to Joe we go. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Sorry, Jim, I don't mean to cut you short there, pal, but you'll understand. The lads will take you back there. Go ahead, Joe. Um, I suppose, Neil, on, on the subject of, of Phil Hogan, um, Phil Hogan has been, had a career kind of tinged with uh, controversy and um, uh, this is his second Golfgate episode, so to speak, back in 2011 uh, while attending the Oireachtas Golf event and again in Galway. It was in Connemara. He was the subject of a controversial remark he made to Anne O'Connell, who was a former um, uh, secretary to the uh, Taoiseach of uh, the 90s, uh, John Bruton. And can I ask you, is all of this on the record? 
this is on the record, yeah. yeah. It, um, it was a lewd uh, a sexual remark. If, if you remember at the time, the household charges had come in um, and, and they had been brought in by Phil Hogan, but um, he made a kind of a derogatory remark to her um, where the word screwing was used and um, he, he gave a token apology afterwards, but she wasn't happy with that um, and Enda Kenny was to... Um, Look into it even further, but uh, she described the the apology she got as written on a scribbled note, a token apology. Um, uh, but that, that that is just one instance where we, we we've seen Phil Hogan, I suppose, involved in controversy. Uh, a few, about a year later, then he was pictured with his um, secretary uh, at the time, um, uh, Lady uh, Highland. Um, uh, I have no that. idea where you're going with this, Joe, and you know the rules and flaw of broadcasting here, so I have no idea. Yeah, well, you know, well, well, this, like, this was in the public domain and was reported in newspapers. Yeah, it, it may well be, but it will really very much depend on how you interpret what was in the public domain. So I'm not going to go there, right? Because uh, I just... I, I, unfortunately, this country is the world's worst when it comes to libel and defamation. And as, as a broadcaster, you should know that, so just be very aware yeah. of that, yeah? Okay, okay. so... Just in general, I suppose, I I think we've seen the last 48 hours some people coming out defending Phil Hogan, saying that, not necessarily defending his, his, him turning up in Galway, but we had Jim O'Callaghan at the weekend came out and said it would be a a big mistake um, for Phil Hogan to lose his position and it would be a big blow to Ireland. Now, some people would see that maybe as Jim O'Callaghan undermining Michal Michal, Martin. Um, So maybe there was a game of political... Well, there is an agenda there, isn't there, between Michal Martin and uh, Jim O'Callaghan. There's two camps within Fianna Fáil. Clearly there is. Phil, Phil Hogan has resigned in the past. He resigned when he was he was in he was minister for state at the Department of Finance back in the nineties. Now at the time he was actually a member of his staff leaked um, budget information to a journalist, so he actually did resign. So for for people who say that he is the type of guy who wouldn't step down, he he has history. He did resign from from that ministry in the past over okay. something that wasn't necessarily. You know, he, he but you still, I'm out of time now, you still describe him as self-obsessed, a self-obsessed, obstinate, old-school politician who's not for budging. That's the way you put it. He definitely is, yeah, and that's the way he's come across. That's the image he's given. And I think I think that's why the public have been kind of baying for his blood. I think I think there's history there over the water charges. I, I, I think a lot of this isn't necessarily down just to okay. lift him. I think the public are looking for maybe contrition from the, the water charge issue because... There, as, you, as we say, there's history there. Okay, we're back after 10, 1850, 104, 106. Thank you, Joe. See where the, see where the clock's against me. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, proud sponsors of the Cork Pride Festival. Okay, I got lots of calls there. I'll come back to Liam, Eileen, and Matt in a couple of minutes' time. This uh, morning, Neil says, Mark and Toker, this notion that we're all in this together is ridiculous. I can't believe the arrogance of these smug politicians from all parties attending a golf party with 80 people and with the rich and wealthy of this country joining them while they were putting the fear of God into people not to gather in groups with COVID restrictions. How many people like myself had to cancel their weddings? How many people couldn't go and pay their respects at funerals of friends and relatives? Funerals of friends and relatives. How many elderly people are sitting at home right now on their own that are afraid to go out, afraid to go to their local because of the likes of the government telling them not to? I can just imagine them sitting around drinking and laughing at the lot of us in Clifton. 
they should not only resign, but they should lose their big fat pensions, says Mark in Toker. Government's going from one crisis to the next and in the process sending out wrong message after message to citizens. We're being treated like fools by Martin and Varadkar. Everyone that attended that golfing function should be sacked by the government with immediate effect. They think they're above the law and they can do as they please. We need to show them that they cannot. I also feel that the insistence of the government to reopen schools come hell or high water will come back and bite them in the proverbial butt. Schools that have reopened in other countries are now closing down as they've helped to drive up the rates of infection. Bjorn Martin has proven in a small space of time what most people knew all along. He is not capable of running this country and his fascination with becoming Taoiseach has tainted and blurred his vision. We're in for a long, hard winter, folks, with the news that you can contract COVID-19 and the flu at the same time. Scientists have sent letters to the government last week outlining their views on eradicating COVID-19 in a six-week period. By their reckoning, all sports, social events, and by and large, life could get back to normal after six weeks. Um, I wonder whether the government even consider their findings. I think, thanks for that, Anthony. I think for that to happen, though, we would have to go back to a total and utter complete lockdown, wouldn't we? A uh, lot then on, um, uh, you know, the anxiousness of parents with children going back to school. And I will come back to all of those. But Paul says we were treated to a weekend staycation by our three fantastic children for our 20th anniversary. Myself and my wife are from Cork. We stayed in a Limerick hotel. And while we were sitting down to our evening meal on Sunday evening, a member of the Gardaí walked into the restaurant of this hotel and asked to see the bookings for that evening. Now, this is interesting. Once the guard was satisfied, he went on his merry way. Is this the new rule of law for Gardaí now to check on hotels and bookings? Are the Gardaí allowed to do this? Can I just say, Paul... That's been going on now for months um, and that's why they take your name and your number and your address when you go into a restaurant or a hotel or somewhere to eat. The guards call. I've seen that happen a few times in the past. So don't be at all. Now, I mean, you, you seem concerned about it. Be a little bit more concerned if they introduce legislation where the guardie will be able to go into your house. So that's for another day. Um, one wonders whether that will be open for abuse. But what's interesting about your email to me is that a guard walked into the Limerick Hotel and asked to see the bookings for that evening. No guard, to the best of my knowledge, walked in to the Clifton Hotel to ask the question, why do you have 81 people having dinner in that room? Um, and no guard did that. And no guard closed the event down either. And I think that's, um, that's to me, very, very telling. Uh, to the phone lines we go. Uh, Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Neil? Good, my man. I'll plough through as much as I can. You want to pick up on pubs? Yes, I spoke to you last Friday about the other situation, the hotel. Yes. Pubs should open, I think and let people have their lives back. And if they want to go and have a pint, let them go and have a pint. We're being told we have to get our lives back on track. So by doing that, let the public can supervise their business, run it accordingly. And if a fellow wants to go and have a pint, let him go and have a pint. And we get back to normal way of living. Um, yeah, but you know that they're saying... For schools to be able to open this week and in the coming yes. week to 10 days, the pubs have to stay closed and large gatherings have to be kept off the table. Right. So you have to make sacrifices in one area to make gains yes. in another. Do you understand their logic? Yeah, Neil, the other side of that is coffee shops are full every day. Bars and restaurants are full. They're serving food. Hotels are full at nighttime with food, drinks. People are congregating. So... 
there is a little, you know. Yeah, but you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be, as an example, swinging and hugging and kissing people and no, singing no, the, and singing the fields of Athenry inside in a no, cafe. No, not in the least. I don't condone that at all. What I'm saying is that public and supervise their house. And if a fellow wants to go in and have a pint, he can go in and have the pint. And he feels he's back normal way of life. I think publicans are, are, are unfortunately and very sadly waking up to the realisation that many of them are, are out of business for good. Right. I'd probably be shot for saying that, but my other point is going back... They're not to going to be shot for it. There's an, there's an awful lot of people who agree with you, that the pubs, yes. that the, you know, these are businesses that are never, ever going to recover. They're going to go bankrupt. A lot of people yes. agree with you. Now, my, my other point is this. The hotel should have refused the guys and just said to them we can't accommodate you now under present circumstances we'll do it next year why didn't they do it why didn't the guards go in there uh, that's, my, that's my next point why did they not call they could call for a man in Limerick a publican in Limerick and close him because he opened and yet they couldn't call to Clifton you know, there's not a major, there's not a huge Because the guards are calling into into pubs are, that yes, are serving food. They, yes. they are. Like, I've seen it but myself. But the guards in Clifton turned a blind eye because they knew who was in the hotel. So, what's their response to that? I'd like to know what their response is to it. Or what is the response you know, to the Garda Commissioner for giving Phil Hogan yes. a caution for what, for driving on his, mo- yes. while talking on his mobile phone? And there's no point in having it uh, to started out after the event. Why didn't they go in on the night and say, come on lads. This is not um, COVID compliance. Shut it not, down. Get out. Shut it know. down. March them out the front door. Kind Send of them home and that's it. Okay. And Thanks. A lot of people angry in the country over that. Thanks Matt. We covered a lot of ground. Eileen, good morning. Hi, good morning Neil. How are you? The arrogance of it you say, is that? Arrogant, you know what now? I'm who's no arrogant? Like, I'm, no, I'm, I'm like everybody else. Are, are, who's arrogant? Everybody who's supposed to be running our country. Not everybody. A vast majority of those who are supposed to be running our country and, and influencing, influencing us in the way we behave. I suppose, Neil, the way I look at it, it's like any business, if it's not coming from the top down, it's not going to happen. You go into any business there in the city and if the people, the bosses aren't doing what they expect of their staff, it's not going to happen. You know, they're going to cause ag- aggression and frustration. And I think the country is like bubbling now at the moment, uh, very understandably. The parents, you know, I'm one of them who's sending my kids off soon abroad studying or working, whatever they're doing. I don't know when I'll see them again because we're going by guidelines as, and I'm the same as hundreds and thousands probably of other families around the country yeah. who are waving goodbye to kids and have no idea how they're going to see them again. Yeah. There's people trying to go back to school and they have underlying illnesses at home with family. The frustration out there and the hardship and the anxiety is through the roof and this kind of behaviour just actually is so unacceptable on every level and if another person comes on not yeah. able to answer a question I swear I think people are going to go through the roof. Yeah, you well, know, and well, actually, like we didn't know things were happening. Come on, honestly, that's even more worrying than anything else. Well, I, I, I can say that yesterday I did have some communication with people up the country, and they who were at that event, and they said that um, on a number of occasions, various people, even in the foyer going into the event, did ask if it was COVID compliant, and they asked a number of different people, hotel staff, hotel management. Um, they even asked the Fianna Fáil organisers of the golf event, is this, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of people here, is it COVID compliant? So there was some 
there was yeah. some concern, not enough concern for them to get in their cars and go home. Well, I think for something just that's so trivial, like a golf meeting, you know, and a, and a, and a get together, it's just unfortunately puts a horrible grey cloud over everybody now who's doing their best to comply. And I think people have been on the whole exceptionally, you know, positive and strong and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it is a very difficult time. And I, I'm working with kids and I see the anxiety and the worrying kids to such a degree. Um, it's horrendous. And I, I come fear, to that. I, I really come to that. I come to that. I come to that, if you like, because uh, incidentally, there was an ex-minister there who now lobbies on behalf of the banks at that dinner as well. That never mind the fact that there was a judge sitting there amongst politicians. Mother of God, I mean, it's ridiculous. Talk to me about anxiety then. What One of the things that I noticed yesterday is an ever-increasing amount of uh, parents whose children have underlying health conditions and they are absolutely yeah. scared out of their wits of the child going to school and picking up uh, uh, COVID. Well, you know, I suppose you can't blame the parents for being scared out of their wits because there isn't a whole lot of positivity being heard at the moment. But they understand at the same time they want their children to go to school, you see. Of course they do. And the socialisation is massively important. But are they going to take a gamble if it's a husband or a wife or a father or a mother? No, they're not. You work with kids through Jumpstart Your Confidence. What effect has the last six months had on children? I think there's a massive issue when it comes to socialisation and kids not being able to see their friends. You know, it's not the same friendships as we had, Neil, when we were growing up. A lot of the friendships are online. And, you know, you you have so many kids who say I'm friends with ABC, but then they see them on a road and they don't even say hello. It's like this online facade of friendships. So when when, when it comes down to it, really, there's a lot of kids don't have that friend that they can get chatting to, have a cry with, you know, be upset with, be honest with. Well, why do I and see them all hanging problem. out together then on our streets then? And you see some, Neil, but, we, you know, there's a, let me tell you now, there's a lot of kids haven't gone outside the door since last March. And there's a lot of kids who are really struggling with trying to go back to school. And I know the issues in schools at the best of times, even before this, where kids, you know, they're going in, they're starting a new school. They might have a friend in two rooms, you know, room three there in room one. There's no more mixing rooms. There's no more going down to see that buddy at lunchtime. There are going to be a lot of issues. I and know, I but it's just the best we can do for now, you see. 100%. But I, like, what I would like to say is to parents, you know, I know parents are anxious and I know they're worried, but the kids feed off us. And if at all possible, whenever possible, to really try and put that positive foot forward in front of your kids because they will take it from you. You know, every feeling you're feeling and every fear you're showing you're putting on to them. And I know it's difficult, but it's really important at the moment that we try and put a positive spin on everything, even if we're not feeling it ourselves. Good stuff. Well said. Thank you for that, Eileen. Much obliged. Right. Jumpstartyourconfidence.com. Um, pa- this is an interesting one. Are the parents of Ireland really going to allow their children and especially their teenagers back into the classroom with COVID cases so high at the moment? Um, it's just going to create more clusters in homes, isn't it? And then the wider community. The Department of Education roadmap breaks every rule put in place by public health and they go against everything. Most of our teenagers are doing social distancing anyway. Does the government not realise a lot of kids are extremely anxious about returning to the classroom and this too needs to be addressed? As much as we want to open schools, it's just not safe to do so at the moment. As for protecting the economy, I'm self-employed and how will I be able to run my business if our family has to go into isolation every time our children have close contacts with a confirmed case in school? The Department of Education has totally let down the private schools with no funding for them whatsoever. Every child attending a private school has parents that are taxpayers. The government needs to give same financial support to private schools. So many families have parents with underlying health conditions and new studies have shown that teenagers transmit very high amounts of cases of covid 
My heart goes out to school principals and teachers. We all know they're doing their best. Uh, we need options. Schools should reopen for essential workers and parents that can't get childcare only. Schools need cameras in the classrooms. That way kids can be present and in front of their laptops for every class at home instead of in the classroom. Um, what you're saying is the teacher should be in the classroom on a camera to the kids at home. Students that need a little extra help could attend a few classes a week at school in person. Um, that is prearranged with the school. Let me tell you, there is always another way. There is always a better way. Thank you, says Rita, by email. And to Neil at uh, redfm.ie. Jerry, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. What's on your mind? Um, I was sent a research. I sent in a text message. No, first of all, I must state I'm not. I have no medical training. I'm not a frontline worker. So you can say I know nothing about these things. Okay, well, when, like most of us, we rely on the we rely on the experts. Brought in this, this thing about having to wear face mask on public transport. I form an opinion that this would probably be one of the worst things that could ever happen because I would reckon that there will be a breeding ground for the virus. Now, if I remember correctly, the WHO was against it, the World Health Organization, and I believe also that the then Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Holden, was against it. Uh, yeah, but that was months back. They were saying that the research didn't show that it was needed or that it did any difference, well, but now they're well, suggesting fair, otherwise. Fair enough. Fair enough, I, I'll accept that, but they did. They, they were against it at one stage, and they did say so. Now, since we've had to have wear a face mask on buses, on on, uh, on trains, on planes, in supermarkets, no matter where you go, what's happened? The numbers have gone have up. increased completely. Now, is that a coincidence, or am, am, am I, have, have I got something here? Um... It also could be the fact that restrictions were lifted and guidelines were relaxed and more people could gather and you could go and, you know, mix in bigger numbers with people outside of your family. You could have more people in your home. You could go out to eat and have a few jars. You know, you could travel further. People started yeah, to I mean, go back to work. Lots of different reasons. Yeah, but quite possibly, and, and by, well, I couldn't dispute any of those things. How in the name time, of God would wearing a face mask spike the COVID numbers, in your opinion? In my opinion, they're just a breeding ground. If somebody comes along and kind of uh, coughs onto your face mask or something, these, these bacteria spread. They, they increase in number. Oh, I know, but do you wear a mask? I, I, only if I have to. Okay. Did you ever sneeze with a mask on? No. I did. And what's left, no disrespect to this hour of the morning now, but you get to see what's left in the mask when you sneeze and it's not a pretty uh-huh. sight. And if I hadn't okay. any mask, all of that would have gone right out into the greater community and God knows who to pick it yeah. up. So the mask stopped it and I see the evidence of it inside the mask, right? Okay, fair enough. That's as I say, there's going to be farm against this. But like, as, I, as I just said to your researcher, is it a coincidence okay. or is there, is there something in it? Fair play to you. Really it's know. a good point. Let's see what people make of it. Jerry believe, Thank you, Jerry, believes that masks are a breeding, breeding ground for virus and the reason the numbers have gone up is because of legislation regarding masks. Tuned into your show whilst working from home. I enjoy it. The golf dinner scandal was an absolute disgrace on the government's part, but you should also address those protests that made our public, who the majority have been abiding by the, r- the rules, wearing masks, social distancing. But those idiots in crowds of hundreds put us all at risk. This is the anti-mask shamdemic protest you're referring to. I want every person that attended that protest to know that they're a disgrace 
and they need to have justice and they needn't have justice for the elderly since they put them all at risk by breaking every single COVID rule there is. This needs to be addressed and dealt with. Otherwise, we're all going back to phase one. The government needs to have a bit of cop on and not let all our hard-earned work done by the community be in vain with anti-mask protests like the weekend. Tell you one thing that's not in vain. Your opportunity to have a bill paid this week, courtesy of ourselves and Ballancolic Credit Union. I've got two grand. We paid a bill yesterday. We're going to pay a few bills between now and midday today. So if there's an unexpected expense that you need covering or somebody you'd like to treat, I want to hear your stories. The happy ones, the sad ones, the mad ones, the wacky ones. So do get in touch. Text 086-8104-106. You never know. I just might pay that bill for you or look after that expense, courtesy of Ballancolic Credit Union, lending to the community. So that's all between now and midday today. Just one quick one here ahead of an ad break. Fiona, thanks for holding. Hi, yes. Back to pubs again, are we? We are. Okay, go ahead. Don't see the point in keeping them closed. In the main, these 3,500 pubs who all pay taxes and employ people, they are in the main small pubs. pubs. It seems to me that the pubs that are open are the big ones where you might have the big gatherings and, you know, the possibility for drunkenness. I know now. That could be the spike, actually, the bigger pubs where many people are gathering. This is exactly what I feel um, because obviously those are the pubs that people are visiting on their staycations and I certainly wouldn't be stopping anybody staycation and we have to be able to holiday somewhere but I just think like the, I'm thinking of the small pubs in Cork that we don't we, we rarely go pub crawling or anything but a very odd pub crawl through town beautiful little pubs up and down Douglas Street Parliament Bridge area you know uh, South Main Street actually you mentioned oh, Douglas Street well, well done there because the owner of Nana's pub on Douglas Street fellow called Stephen Hackett is quoted in the Echo this morning he says he believes there are certain people in government that are trying to help but are not being allowed he says some people in government don't want the pubs to open, but he believes that politicians who understand pubs, know pubs, who socialise in pubs, are in support of helping wet pubs to open again and to be allowed to operate. But nobody's listening to those politicians, he says. Well, I would totally agree with, with that. I hadn't seen that, that article. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I say, we don't, we don't regularly go pub going, but when we do, we really enjoy just stepping into these little pubs all throughout Cork now, particularly. And every single one of the pubs in my mind that seems to be, that seem to be the ones that are being kept closed are all like four or five people inside in them. Guys sitting very far apart anyway, you know, because guys tend not to, to huddle together in those type of pubs. Um, one at one end of the bar and the other fell at the other end of the bar just shooting the breeze and mightn't even know each other but you know why, why close them up the, these people are employers they're taxpayers the, the pub landlord in those type of pubs is usually on premises uh, whereas in the bigger pubs that may not necessarily be the case yeah I know what you're you saying know? and you'd, you'd say okay you'd, you'd allow them all to open but you'd have nobody standing at the bar drinking you'd, you'd still have the distancing you'd limit Correct. the amount of people yeah. in there table service. Absolutely. And yeah. the thing is that these guys, and to okay. hear them on, on the phone, and, you know, they're, they're nearly crying, grown men nearly crying, who've been running the small pubs to up and down the country for, for decades, and to, to be shut up, and you, you can just feel the frustration, and, and, and just considering that you, you, you don't know what's coming ahead. Like, these guys don't even know it'll be Christmas when you're open, it'll be Easter when you're open. They have no clue. And imagine what they feel. I, it, I just feel their frustration the whole time. Okay. I know 
other important, more important things get open, like the schools and everything. But I genuinely don't believe that they're going to be a virus spreading environment. That's okay, I'm sure that if they're listening, they'll be thanking you for your support. I'm Thanks. sure I'm not the only one. Thanks, Fiona. Let's, let's, thank you, Steve. let's see if there are more. Thank you, Fiona. Text 0868104106. Back after these. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM going to start reading out texts and emails for pay your bills as well some big responses to this which we'll do between now and midday but john standing by so is sean first up morris good morning morris morning Neil. Uh, supreme court judge now being investigated by a retired supreme court judge that's where that's at that's that's the cops investigating the cops now really isn't it 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 kind of you would think that the investigation would be completely independent of the judiciary for sure well well, you'd put a university professor in law uh, into it you know you wouldn't put someone in the the trade so to speak you know yeah Um, it it would be like the cops investigating the cops yeah yeah. it's a bit ridiculous when you think about it like look um, there's three arms of the state here Neil as you know like you're alluding to it there this morning and a lot of people didn't pick up on it a lot of anger directed at politicians and rightly so I listened to the interview this morning with Mary Lou and yeah you pulled her up on the councillors who misbehaved and you pulled her up over going to the funeral and that you know and, but well the one the one common trait through all of this is politicians politicians are in the middle of it yeah 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 look but the are those who are those are those who to an extent, feed off politicians, if you like. Yeah, but this judge is a bigger issue um, when you think about it, Neil. When, when you, like, this is a Supreme Court judge, a judge of the highest court of this land, right? Who will have been appointed to that position um, by a government. Now, I, I, I don't know much about Supreme Court Judge uh, Wolf, right, on who appointed he was the him. Attor- he was the Attorney General <clears throat> six weeks ago. Oh, right, well, he was appointed by this government, so, Correct. right? Yeah. Okay, right. So... Like, and, he's he, da- was, and he's damn good at his job, apparently, by oh, all accounts. He's obviously a learned man. There's no, there's no, there's no one questioning his uh, his credentials, right? But as a learned man and a man of the law, he should know attending an event like that is in itself a breach of the separation of powers. It is, but if we were all to be sacked or sent to Coventry or boycotted, as some people are suggesting, for misdemeanors and mistakes in our past, there'd, yeah. be, no, but there'd be none of us doing anything. We'd be all out in the wilderness. But did he t- think he was still the Attorney General, that he could attend these events? Do you know? I mean, this this man, is, as you just said, look, he's good at his job. He's good at the job. The minute he takes up the office as a Supreme Court judge, he has to step away from events with politicians. It's as simple as that, right? Now, picture this now, and you, you kind of mentioned it yourself a while ago, and you, you're up in court, right? You, you, you're, you're, you're up in the High Court, or you're moving on to the Supreme Court, right? You have, you're challenging a piece of legislation. Somehow... It's affecting you personally, right? We just say something like the fair deal scheme or something like that, right? You're challenging a government. You're uh, challenging a government. Law. You're challenging yeah, some yeah. piece of legislation, yeah, right? And yeah. the case on the case on point that I would point to here is that fair deal scheme that came out a couple of years ago under Mary Harney, right? Remember yeah, yeah. when she went after people's property retrospectively, yeah, right? Yeah. So and that was struck down by the Supreme Court. They weren't partial enough to do that. But just just for let's just hypothetically say. You end up in front of Judge Wolf. Right? Let, let's not even let's not even say that for right, you know, okay. for for certain legal reasons that I need right, to be okay, cognizant okay. of. But let's say that you end up in you, front you're, of you're, judge. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Your point really is about impartiality. Yeah, yeah. and this, this you have a judge then rubbing shoulders, going to golfing events with uh, politicians, right? Senior politicians, right? And possibly, possibly playing golf every other weekend. 
that they can, right? So they're out on the golf course for hours on end. Right? Well, my, my worry is that judges could be put in a very compromising position. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it from this point of view. And I, I look at you, you were mentioning Judge Corpton there. Remember that one from, from the early noughties, right? I do. Yeah. The Tralee Circuit Court judge, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, like his case collapsed, right, on evidential reasons. There was a problem with the, the warrant. I remember well from the time, right? And he was he was basically forced by the media and pressure from the public to resign, right? He, uh, initially, he wasn't going. No, Neil, I think that's a ridiculous situation to be in, right? And it's up to the, the Oireachtas to sack this man if that's what they feel they're doing. But no. they can, the Oireachtas can sack a judge for misbehaviour, but that's, the word misbehaviour is, it's, how do you interpret yeah. that word? And who's going to sack him? The people who stand golf for him. Think yeah. about that one now. No, well, Neil. He's got himself at, in a right pickle for sure. Um, right? e- even Think though about that the American he is, system, Neil. Yeah. Think about the American system now here for a, for a minute, right? As we're talking about, the, like the judges are an arm of government, right? In America, judges are elected to positions like that. They have to face the electorate, right? Not a couple of lads that they go golfing with in the dial, right? Or the Arctic Golfing Society, they face the people the same as a county councillor would, the same as a TD would, right? And you're telling me, down the road from Judge Cotton, and here this man knows a Supreme Court judge, we haven't a system like that put in place. Yeah, yeah. So what all judges, all judges should be elected like politicians then? There you go. Like you have the COVID crisis going on now since March, right? Okay. yeah. And this guy is sitting in courts that are socially distanced. The, the, the numbers going into courts have been cut significantly. A lot of the proceedings are online. And he goes up to a golfing event in Clifton and doesn't see a problem. We've been in a room with 80 people. Yeah. Yeah, but um, surely we all should be aware of where we are. Um, like, you know, you go, you go some, of the, some of the restaurants that you can go into now are so large. I'm not suggesting you go with 80 people, but you certainly have got a 40, 50 or 60 people in the same area as you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... Could you imagine now that there'd be drinking involved and we'd be there all night? You're right, and big, no ra- big round tables you are sitting much closer to. And there's to. no one telling us we have to be gone in an hour and f- five minutes or yeah, okay. we have to buy a nine euro pizza. And <laughs> or a mobile chipper outside the door. There's a, for- there's a former Court of Appeal judge now saying that there's a great danger in the present situation that good people who have committed their lives to the public service are now being publicly humiliated and unfairly hounded out of office. Well, don't do hound believe, good people out, he's saying. I do believe people are being held to account. It's something that didn't really happen here before, right? That's okay. what you're looking at here. Okay. You look at the media asking hard questions, yourself included, Neil, right? Asking hard questions that need to be asked. Why can't someone have a funeral, right? You, you, you talked about your mother-in-law's funeral. I know another chap, he buried his father during the crisis. Not COVID-related, cancer, right? And again, only 10 people could go. But yeah, yeah I no think it, being, being politicians or judges, of course, puts them on a completely different level, doesn't it? Be, you know, as, it puts as, them on another planet, Neil. No, no, in, in the sense of, of, of responsibility and compliance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's a higher standard you'd expect from me. Yeah, yeah, Correct. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. You put it better than me. Thank you for that, Morris. Appreciate it. Sean, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Thanks for holding. Um, okay, you want to go back in time. I like a bit of nostalgia. What have you got for yeah. me? Well, I. It was the day after the new regulations were announced last week. I was in town and um, I was uh, on North Main Street. You know, there's St. Peter's um, Centre there, the kind of exhibition. Certainly do. Yeah, it's the Burning a Cock exhibition. Everybody should go and see it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is. Like, um, I I went in, I read everything there and it was was really great. And the pictures they've done, they've 
you know, colorized old photographs. There's another brilliant exhibition, either open or about to open. George Patterson and his team have put it together in the Middle Parish. Uh, and, it ta- and it also deals with the burning of Cork. Fantastic photographic exhibition of Cork over the last 100, 150 years. Some of them aerial photographs. Incredible. Also a lot of the history of Tomás McCurtain and McSweeney. It's well worth going to see that one. But I digress. Go ahead. And is that opening soon? That one? Well, I, I, I think it... I'll have to check. I mean, I, I went... I was in there myself at the weekend because I was keen to have a look at it. And I was actually in that area and George brought me in. Can I find out between now and midday if it's open to the public for you? Would you mind? Thank you. Okay, so let's. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll come back to you on that one, Sean. But anyway, go back to your own story. Yeah, like one um, piece took my attention because you know it was in you know because of all was in the news. It said a hundred years ago the, the curfew that was put on Cork. There was no more than six people allowed at a meeting, and like it's, you know, it's kind of striking. Like it's the same number now, and they said back then. Um, every restaurant, hotel and house had to have um, a list of the occupants uh, posted on their door. Amazing. And we were kind of speaking of that today again. That would have been back in uh, 1920 uh, exactly, when the yeah. Tans were in town, yeah. of course. And um, there was martial law, to be quite honest, wasn't there? Martial law, I think. There was a few counties. Was it Park, Kerry and... Um, that's what the other one, yeah. So the irony of that is not lost on you a hundred years later, back to six people yeah, and take it, your names. It puts in, in your mind, like you, you said at the start of your show, that, you know, with the way the news cycle moves, like, when is golf going to be replaced with another kind of news item, you know? It's not going to re- be remembered in a hundred years anyway. Well, I was making the suggestion that sometimes it's best to hunker down, say nothing, and let the storm blow over. For the people involved, yes, for the people for the people involved, that the that the public's attention span is short enough, and will move on to the next scandal or the next crisis or the next tragedy or the next news event. They might be walking on the next scandal, so to take attention away, maybe. Um, yeah, but that's that's why if you ever listen to politicians, the same thing happened yesterday with Michael McGrath. They always mm. try and de- deflect the narrative away from the story that you wish to address with them. They're very smart yeah. like that. They'll, they'll, Michael McGrath, on a few oh, occasions yeah, yesterday, yesterday, tried to turn the conversation to schools all the time and getting the schools back. And you have to keep dragging yeah. them back to topics that you want to cover. Yeah, he was he was staying very distant from some of your topics, sorry, right, some of your questions. They, but, they, but they all do that. It's like it's if they're taught oh, it yeah. in some sort of media course they do. Deflect from the question, change the topic, move it away. Didn't, there must be a training camp somewhere for that. Right? I think well, there is actually, as it happens. But anyway, anyway, thanks for that. Thanks for the great article. What um, about Miss Clifford? He had a great article in the Examiner saying how was the um, Phil Hogan's um, caution? How was that reported? You know, like a caution shouldn't really be entered in a in an official database. You know, I think that's I think that's a great that's a great question because I was trying to trace it back when from the guard maybe. To the sergeant in charge, sergeant in charge to the super, from the super to the commissioner, from the commissioner to the justice minister, from the justice yeah. minister to the Taoiseach. And Mick Clifford put the question in the article. It, he said, like, was this, was he actually done for, like, penalty points and fine and was put on the system? No. And then somewhere, someone higher up removed it, just the question. You know. It's an interesting question. I mean, but my understanding was he got a caution and was told, go on your merry way, don't do it again. 
Well, that's the official story anyway, for sure. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> there may be a change or an update to that as well. Yeah, and could I just say, last thing, like, the, you know, golf case, everyone's talking about it now, but, you know, we have to commemorate the, the volunteers that died 100 years ago. Like, every week in Cork, there, there's meant to be commemorated. Yeah. Their centenaries, uh, yeah. It's a very it's, important year and it can't be forgotten about. And to some extent, it has been put on the back burner because of the current, the current situation we're in. Yeah, for sure. Like you didn't go to, you didn't go to Bail and Blaw, did you? I think some people did go to Bail and Blaw. You didn't go down? I didn't, but another historical kind of comparison, like, like the Lee of Rikers down in Cork now, and it seems like he's kind of taken pot shots at Michael Merton. I mean, he has been making comments like he has no confidence in him. And I think his visit to Cork is a bit of a PR exercise. So those well. photographs that I saw yesterday of Leo in an off-license with what looked like six cans of Heineken or something, they're real, are they? Up around the college road? <laughs> he wasn't going to a house party, oh, no? Oh, they, they are real, but like I imagine he's staying in the five-star hotel there around the corner. He's bringing the six-pack back to Hayfield Manor, is it? Oh, guaranteed. <laughs> Probably drinking from a champagne flute. I love it. But I mean, it, I it's it. perfect PR, like... This man has been spending 100,000 euro every month on PR since he became Taoiseach. So, I mean, like the image of him carrying a six-pack of cans, it's like a perfect juxtaposition. Getting to, down like with the dudes expenses. like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, compare that to Golfgate. <laughs> and it's it's kind of morose in a way. Like it's you think it was, you're you're implying that it was intentional while all of those were up there having beef or salmon at round tables in Clifton. He's getting a six-pack from a Cork off-licence. Uh, de- I mean, definitely. I mean, he, this guy has the best PR spinners around him. Like, that I like it, I like it, I like it. Thanks, Sean. Thanks Have a good so day. Much. Appreciate it, my man. Bye-bye. Take care. Cheers for now. John is on one. John, good morning. Hello, Neil. Okay. Fianna Fáil supporter all your life. Let's nail that colour to the mast. Go ahead. Well, I'm just like to comment on the present crisis, I suppose, in the country and take a different angle to it because uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I, I hold no belief for, for Phil Hogan. Uh, his, his legacy is outside my door here and outside your door and every door in the country with, with water meters. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think uh, in this particular instance, we have to consider the country and consider his position. If he's removed from office, what does that mean for Ireland? I mean, even if he's replaced, who's going to replace him? And if there is a replacement, will we get that position back? We need that position. It's a very, very influential position. And it's very important to have a person of his character, even though you may not like it, uh, to counter another character in Britain uh, in dealing with Brexit. And I, I think that that is to be... In, 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 so accountability then should take second seat to his uh, talents, is it? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, but, but, but I mean, uh, if we go down that, and, and even on that line, like you know, there's an awful lot of people now claiming the high moral ground, like, and uh, there, there is no excuse for what happened in Donegal. But I mean, if we're going to fire people, let's fire them all. And I mean, there is plenty of records in Fianna Fáil of where, where we could have taken action before. And we'll, we'll take the old proverb or whatever it is, like, let's get him without fault. Oh, listen, I try and live my life by that. That's why if many people <laughs> would find this I just, com- uncomfortable. I just, yeah, but you see the point I'm making? 
that that's with a very influential position at the moment. Well, okay, cool. uh, yeah, and and we need to bear that in mind. However, the party that you're a lifelong supporter of once had the Galway tent, and now we see that very little has changed, except they moved from a tent into the function room of a hotel. Well, let me say this, uh, Neil. I, I am no longer a supporter because I cannot continue the way things are going. I mean, the, the party will be decimated in the next election. There's no doubt about that. Fianna uh, um, Sinn Féin are rising without lifting a finger. They're, they're winning votes every day of the week because these guys are digging holes for themselves. And did you vote Fianna Fáil in the last election? I... I, I, did, I didn't, no, no. Okay, well, so, okay, so you have no longer support in Fianna Fáil and didn't no, vote for them. Well, I continue on this. I mean, the 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 the, the, the parties in, in shambles, like there okay. there people resigning, people fighting with each other. There's no leadership. I I I I, I don't know. But anyway, the okay. point I want to make is that in this particular instance, I take your point that, that we, we we it's very hard to keep Bethel Hogan there. But I mean, who who's going to replace okay. him? Okay, and would it be right in saying that this is John L. Sullivan, the highly respected maths teacher from Douglas Community School? Am I right? Would be right. Thanks for for those compliments. Oh, and they're well-deserved, and it's lovely talking to you again. And tell me, do you have any thoughts on the children going back to school with COVID-19 as an ex-teacher yourself and what they're going through and the anxiety of parents? Oh my God, Neil! I have I'm a grandparent myself, and and I only pray and hope that first of all I hope they do open, and secondly I hope they don't close again because it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge out there now, and and I I, I haven't a solution to it. I I, I don't know has anybody a solution to it. I I I would hate to be back in in, in school again to be honest with you yeah. because. All the teachers are working day and night. They got no holidays. They're mad to get back teaching. The children are mad to get back to school. They're regressing if they don't get back to their friends and to education. But you have me there, Neil. I only just hope and pray that it goes all right. All right, and steady as we go. Mind yourself, John. Thanks for taking the call. Cheers for now. Lines open on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break. Actually, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll we'll just take a break and then I might just have a look at the flooding of West Cork, if you don't mind. I can come back to everything else. I know there's a lot of texts as well coming in from the likes of um, uh, from the likes of my conversation earlier on with Mary Lou McDonald. I want to do those as well. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. We've been following the news story with regards to the storm and how it's impacted particularly in West Cork, areas like Bantry, Clonakilty, Lower Ross Carberry, Lep, Bandon, Drimaleague, Dunman Way, even Passage West, Yall, uh, areas like that, um, you know, flooded. Very, very bad, particularly in Bantry overnight. Um, and Jesse, uh, Jesse Hegarty has uh, the Mace and uh, Burke's clothes store down in the middle of town. Jesse, good morning. Morning, I've been sent. I'm good. I've been sent some videos actually of like, like a, almost like a tidal wave of water down. Is that New Street, Main Street, that area? Main Street, New Street, nearly. I don't all kind of check like you. What happened? I mean, because people are already talking about culverts in the system not being able to cope. Is that right? I think. You see, Bantry, Bantry is not even kind of a gully. Neil, and uh, you have above Bantry, you have uh, Seskin, Seskin Mountain, Seskin Hill, and a lot of rivers come off of that, so um, those rivers burst their banks and 
see a lot of water coming down through the town and if you know eventually the library the library the river's all you know meet comes the library and at the library they go into the culvert and the culvert travels down through the town and comes out below at the, the slab below so Basically, I think the culvert needed a couple hundred years old and the culvert just couldn't take that, you know. And that's why we see the video of literally as much water inside businesses and homes as outside. Um, within yeah, a, yeah. within particularly two hours, it was very bad, I'm told. You had like 25 millimetres within well, two hours. I was, I actually was up, I was actually um, with a couple of lads there, we were doing something and yeah, there was a lot of rain falling. We were like, we were, we were, we were actually talking about Skibreen, we were saying, cheese I hope Skibreen doesn't hit again tonight like you know yeah and next you got a phone call from my brother and he was like yeah it's a lot of rain just we're flooding we're flooding we're flooding so I went down and I drove down and I drove up to New Street and next to kind of a couple of bumps in the road I was like right obviously I was like what's that you know that was a culvert nail outside of Vickery's there was, was getting damaged so I drove in around and I got down to Main Street and rang the neighbours that we have in the street and you know what um it's tough enough, you know. But, uh, and tell me, you tell me, because uh, did you have product destroyed last night? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's product damage. But look, we we came off light, you know. We came off light enough um, for the most part. But look, there's a couple of businesses around us in Main Street, Main Street in general, like Wiseman's and Flory Hands and Paddy's and Timor. And there was a lot of water nearly, you know. I heard a shoe shop lost 15 grand's worth of shoes destroyed. Yeah, yeah, well, it's got hit hard oh, as well. You know, water, you know what? It's, it's no opener. Like, <laughs> when water comes hard, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you know, it's, it's nothing you can do about it. Like, and some of the businesses, there was a particular cafe, were you saying, under five feet of water? Yeah, sorry, hands got hit hard, yeah. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do. Uh, the fire brigade were there last night, and they were just trying to force the door open and take pressure off the structure, like, you know what I mean? Cause it was oh, my calming God. In oh, my hard. God. Has it receded now, Jess? It has receded, yeah, yeah, with the, the fair play the fire brigade. But look, Neil, I suppose, you know, if looking for green shoots here, like, the... the Everyone pulled together last night, and the fire brigade were fantastic. And Danny Collins, fair play to him, was was on the ball, and 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 dear McMurphy from Banchetown's uh, association, they were, they, you know, but it, it's very, you could do, you know, and um, but everyone, everyone, you know, everyone put their shoulder in and and, and did what they could do, you know. Okay, okay. Can, can I ask you? Does insurance cover all of that damage? Insurance should come. Hopefully, hopefully, insurance will will be a factor. You know, um, but look, Neil, it's just the structural damage. It's like Main Street. The the tower was just done last year. The resurfaced last year, mm. and the the surface of Main Street was lifted six, six inches because it was it was over the footpaths. Right, it's so bad enough at this time for businesses, and without this on top of it, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But like, it's the structure that was just left behind. Is is the big problem. Like New Street, the culvert needs to be changed. But look, we'll, we'll get there again. You know. Yeah, you're very positive and very optimistic. I like that about you. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. taking the call. I let you get back to it to assessing the damage and putting it right. Thanks, Neil. Cheers. Jesse Hegarty has the mace and also Burke's Clothes Shop in town and our thoughts are with all of the businesses and homes, actually. A lot of homes in the streets down in Bantry as well that were absolutely decimated and damaged, particularly within a two-hour two period. They're saying 
in and around, I think, uh, 10 p.m. is when it was the very worst down there. But overnight, oh, I was down west and I thought the roof was going to come off. Even coming back up this morning, the winds were really, really howling. Um, actually thought about not coming up to be quite honest with you but uh, the big problem of course would be say on high ground like coming up over the county bounds forget about it 104 to 106 Red FM this is the Neil Frienderville show and indeed Ballancolic Credit Union have given me two grand to spend at will right across the week and we're looking for your stories uh, because I want to pay some bills we did yesterday and we'll pay a few at around about 10 minutes to midday today uh, whatever it may be I'll part with the cash yeah, it's Ballancolic Credit Union's uh, money, so get texting as to why I should include you in my thoughts and perhaps pay your bill or give you a treat of something. Text 0868-104-106. For the details, the credit union, bcu.ie, Ballancolic Credit Union, lending to the community. And uh, Ballancolic continues to go from strength to strength, I suppose, because Ballancolic Credit Union are lending to people and to businesses, make life uh, that bit better. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Mary Lou, uh, my conversation with her this morning, just a selection of texts. Uh, I buried both my mother-in-law and father-in-law in a five-month period during the COVID pandemic. I would, love, I would have loved to have had the opportunity to speak at both their funerals. Due to the size of the family, I couldn't even get into the church. Does Mary Lou, not, does Mary Lou McDonald think we are idiots? Her explanation has only rubbed salt in the already existing wound. It's one rule for politicians and another for the rest of us. I think um, she. I think you are referring to all of the conversation, but to a specific part of it where she attended a funeral in the North. Uh, who paid for the event, um, the golfing event and the dinner? Was it the individuals or was it the Oroctus? Who paid for the meal and who paid for the hotel and the overnight stay? I think I can, f- I can say without fear of contradiction that the golfers who went paid for it, but there was... There was a, no, a figure mentioned of 80 euro, I think, for a round of golf and dinner. I'm open to correction on the amount. Uh, and then if they stayed overnight, they paid for their own rooms. Uh, can you please uh, ask Mary Lou McDonald what her stand is regarding our Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin councillor, Cathy Bennett, who went to Lanzarote? She's not saying much about that. Well, I did ask her about that. I certainly did. Does Mary Lou feel that her party could handle this situation at this time with no experience in power? Who would manage her health department? Well... If you look at Fianna Falling, Fianna Gael and all of their years of experience and power, and look where we're at now. Uh, I know Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael seem to be making mistakes, Neil, but why don't Sinn Féin own their own mistakes? Going to the funeral up the north didn't fit in with the guidelines, so why is it okay for them to go? And plenty others missed family funerals. Why is it okay for a Sinn Féin councillor to go to Lanzarote on holidays, a place that is not on the green list? They should be leading by example, so using the excuse that they couldn't get a refund is rubbish. Plenty of people cancel holidays. Why couldn't the councillor? Nice sidestep for Mary Lou when you asked her uh, what she would have done differently regarding the, regarding the reopening of schools. Typical of Sinn Féin, really. All mouth and no trousers. Uh, Mary Lou Fatishuk, she deserves a shot at the title given the unchanged Muppet show that's going on again. And here's the important word, again. Um, with all politicians, it's do as I say, not as I do. Excuse after excuse for breaking numerous guidelines to attend a funeral. Um, if you want to find out if developers were at Golfgate, get your hands on a copy of the list of prizes. You'll see who donated what. Guaranteed the top prize will be from a developer, says Dinny. And there's reams of them, which I'll come back to. Mary Lou is getting... Uh, okay, I'll come back to those ones. But Richie was... Uh, one of the things I asked was Mary Lou as to whether she played golf. She doesn't. She plays pitch and butt. Did anybody get invited to the shin, to the uh, the golfing shindig from Sinn Féin? And she said no. Um, you know, and they're... 
maybe their noses are out of joint that they didn't get into that private gig, the private golf event. But Richie and Toker suggest, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sinn Féin is well known for having a couple of private members' clubs themselves. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, we will come back to lots of other business between now and midday and again tomorrow. But uh, I want to uh, play for you a conversation I had uh, some days ago with Sinead O'Leary. She was almost killed in 2002 by Peter Whelan in a house on the Rochestown Road. It was the house of her friend Nicola McSweeney who died in the attack. Um, Sinead O'Leary was stabbed over 20 times. She survived. Her best friend did not. Um, uh, Whelan then, in the subsequent court case, pleaded guilty to the savage murder of Nicola and the attempted murder of Sinead. We're going back to nearly 20 years ago now, 2002. Now, in the court case at the time, Justice Carney um, uh, jailed Peter Whelan for the murder of Nicola McSweeney. She was 20 at the time, student at her home in Underwood House on Rochestown Road uh, in April of uh, 2002. And in an unusual step, he sentenced Whelan to 15 years imprisonment to run consecutively with the life sentence. And the 15 years imprisonment uh, was to was the sentence for his attempted murder of Sinead O'Leary. She was 20 at the time as well. Um, and it was interesting because usually these sentences would run concurrently, but the judge wanted them run consecutively. There would be 15 years served and then the life sentence would kick in after that. Now, we're a bit down the road now with regards to time served by Whelan and that we know. But there are there are planned changes to the Parole Act in Ireland and it's been long fingered by the last government, the last justice minister. And of course, everything's changed now with COVID. But the one of the... One of the worries, say, for the likes of Sinead O'Leary, who's had to live with the memory of that night all of her life, is that Whelan has had multiple escorted day visits out of jail. Um, Some suggest it's like every three months. And uh, we do know that at least one and perhaps more of those visits have been to Cork. Um, And he he would, obviously, he's not alone. He's there with with prison staff and what have you. Um, But I caught up with Sinead. It was my first conversation with her ever, I have to be honest with you, uh, a few days back. Um, although I did speak to her father many, many years ago. Um, and some people may find parts of this uh, conversation uh, disturbing. Uh, some may find parts of what she has to say in my conversation with her upsetting. So I'm just letting you know that in advance. But I will give out some phone numbers at the end of the conversation. But I caught up with Sinead and we, we, we chatted by phone. And I started by asking her, how did herself and Nicola first meet? So me and Nicola met when we were in fifth year in school in Scalvera. Nicola had moved back to Ireland in fourth year and they had been in London prior to that. But I actually also had been in London prior to that as well. Mm. So we didn't know each other then, but my family moved back the year later. So I started school then in fifth year and how me and Nicola ended up becoming so close so quickly was because we both had exemptions from Irish because mm-hmm. we had our schooling had been in England mm. so we had spent four or five hours a week would have been you know there would have been the one class every day for Irish in the library together okay so yeah did and we you, became fast friends did you share the same love of horses as Nicola I wonder yes yes definitely that was a big thing that brought us together being huge animal lovers yeah, was, was yeah. definitely something that really connected 
I know that Nicola w- was um, delighted to come back to Cork. She she said that she felt would have felt safer, ironically, in Ireland than yes. the UK. But she also got to live across the road from an equestrian centre, so that was exactly, a joy. Exactly in Hop Island, so that that was a beautiful experience for her. Because and Nicola loved animals. I mean, Nicola was vegetarian. She just, you know, she loved nature and you know wouldn't hurt a fly type person. You know, she was a very gentle person in that manner. And then in. 2002, um, her world ended and yours changed forever. Yes, yes, yeah, that's correct. It did. You, you were On a Saturday night. You were due. You, know. you were due to watch a video, wasn't it? And then some friends. Yeah, called. initially I'd called up when we were cooking and, and having dinner, and um, I know there was some something like the X Factor or whatever the equivalent would have been then on, and we'd rented some movies that we were supposed to be watching, but then after dinner. As which does happen when we were in our late teens at those ages, there was a couple of messages going around that people were going out and we'd like, would we like to go into town? A spontaneous decision made off the cuff as teenagers do, yeah? Yeah, we get ready and go out. That, that's the reason why we were upstairs. You know, we had gone into Nicola's room. She had an ensuite, so I had my shower. You know, she was then going to get ready and have hers and things like that. You know, getting prepared. You know, there was all the buzz for going out and going out last minute and so quickly and things and trying to get taxis ready and organised to pick us up because it was getting very late at this stage because I think it was around 10.30 coming off to 11 o'clock, which would have been late anyway to be going out. But yeah. it was just such a last minute decision anyway. And you were alone, the two of you in the housework. I think Nicola's family were, were back visiting in the UK or something, wasn't it? Yeah, and her brother Sean had just left okay. a few minutes before that as well if you find this if you find this traumatic do let me know Sinead you know yeah no I will yeah okay so I know she was um, in the in the bathroom you were curling your hair sitting on the bed what, what do you recall yeah that's so I just remember sitting, actually I had a sinking feeling in my stomach a few minutes before it happened and I said it to Nicola and she had felt anxious as well and, you know, we put it down to I'd just broken up with a boyfriend recently and we could bump into them in town. You know, it was kind of like, oh, why don't I feel so great all of a sudden? And uh, so just kept on at it, curling the hair or whatever. And I just saw all of a sudden a figure at the end. It was a very long corridor, the hallway upstairs. Mm. And just saw a figure coming towards me. I didn't really know what to think initially because it could have been, oh, is this one of Sean's friends or someone who's friends with Nicola that I don't know because of the age range? Yeah. You know, it was someone at the same age as us. And then I think just within a flash, I, had, I remember standing up because he just kept coming towards me but didn't say anything. And then I was thrown onto the floor and he was stamping on top of me and Nicola had come out of the ensuite and was screaming for him to stop. But his, all he did at that stage was just lift up his shirt to show her the knives that he was about to use. So he just started stabbing down furiously upon me and obviously aiming for my internal organs. So I was throwing my arms into the knives to kind of take the brunt of that. And I know that the knife that he was using broke in my arm with the force of it and then he turned to Nicola then to chase her with the other knife that he had. Because she was shouting at him to stop, stop, stop. Yeah, yeah, she was screaming at him to stop Um, and then he went for her then after I think I was 
sustained about 20 stab wounds at that stage. And then he ran for her and she was, she ran in, into the ensuite. She had been standing by the door of it anyway and backed into the ensuite and was closing the door. And that's when I managed to pull myself up and try and get help as I thought Nicola was safe in that moment was because I saw her getting into the bathroom and the door closing. Yeah. And it was just to get us help. And I remember running as if to go to her parents' room and thinking maybe there could be a phone line or something in there. And then I thought he was behind me, but I think that was just panic. And I was like, no, get down the stairs, get down the stairs. And of course, and he had switched all he had switched all the lights out as he came on in up in the yeah. house and up the stairs yeah. and down the hall. Yeah, yeah. So then it was going into this pitch black downstairs. So I just ran into the. I was just just run into the bathroom and lock yourself in was the only thing I could think to do at that point. As I thought he was behind me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I did that, and so I was. I mean, I think. I suppose I remember seeing myself in the mirror then and, and seeing the wounds and the blood and the sink filling up with blood. And I'm not even sure how much time would have passed. It could have been about 30 or 40 seconds up to a minute. And then I could hear, because I was trying to be as quiet as possible, I could hear his footsteps walking past the bathroom door. And my assumption was that he was going to maybe go around, to leave the house and go around to the back of the window of the bathroom. And um, I didn't really want, know what to do next. I was just like, okay, you just need to, to get Nicola to help you. You need to, you're going to have to come out of this bathroom. You have no phone. You need to get to Nicola and she'll help. My, um, um, my, my thoughts on that, incidentally, reading again a lot about the case uh, over the past couple of days was that he perhaps was looking for the light switch um, in the dark to turn on the lights to try and find you. Um, and then, and then it's believed that he couldn't do that, and and thought uh, she's dead anyway. Yeah. Well, no, I was. I mean, I was from police that I had been talking to at the time, or whatever. The thought was that he was looking for me, and he thought I'd fled the house. Okay. At that point, I don't think he realised I was in that bathroom. Yeah. So he was looking for me because he still had the second knife out in the garden, which he then disposed of in the grounds and went home when he could. He, didn't know where I was I don't think at that yeah. stage yeah do you know so I remember just coming coming out into the dark then and which was frightening obviously to have to come out of somewhere that you felt a little bit safe for a few seconds and calling Nicola's name and it just being pitch black it was still dark and I didn't get any answer for her and I was like oh god I'm gonna have to go up to her I go up she's still in the bathroom so I was just just if you can make it up there you'll figure it out together do you know we'll We'll just figure this out. It will be fine. And then I remember running upstairs and getting into her room and finding her on the floor in her room, still breathing at that stage. She was still conscious. She was she was moaning. And I just got, I think it was her mobile phone, actually, that I was able to find then and start bringing, bringing people for help. You rang her mother? Her mom had rang her phone, is, is what had happened there. And you answered so it? Yes, because oh the phone had been in my hand because I had rang. Oh my God! And did you have you had to tell her? Yeah, I know. I told her that that Nicola had been hurt because at this stage, I'd, I, I mean, all I could see was that Nicola was hurt and that help was going to come and we both be fine. Do you know that's all I could? Is that's it all my brain could process at the time? I thought it's amazing you didn't pass out with all of the injuries and the blood loss. 
Yeah, because actually the guard that I was talking to who met me on the stairs that I did then when the when when help had finally arrived, do you know what I mean? I was able to keep it together and it was frightening because, you know, I remember being on hold with the operator and feeling like I wasn't getting anywhere with the police and then having to hang up and then ring again and ring an ambulance. And then I rang my dad, who lived in Middle Bamaya Road over by Montanati. And I was like, I feel like no one believes me. We need help. You need to come here. You need to come here. So my mom and dad and my older brother immediately got into a car and drove out to Rochestown because they actually arrived at the same time as, as the ambulance did. Um... Yeah, I remember it was a few minutes wait with Nicola and trying to talk to her. And then some of the times I was having to move and push myself up against the door out of fear that he might come back. And I was just talking to her that we'd be fine. We'd be fine. I mean, I found out afterwards that she actually would have passed away while I was with her. Um, Yeah, yeah. This is, you know, know, this is real life you're describing now. We need to remind ourselves as listeners, this is not something out of a Hollywood movie. I know, and it's really hard for people to really grasp that this is something that really happened to us. Well, I've read an awful lot about it, and people have read a lot about it, but hearing about it is a completely different level. Um, And when you realised that Nicola had died, um, it must have been absolutely heartbreaking because... Yeah, it was in an awful state because I, I felt that we were going to overcome it together. Do you know what I mean? That was my kind of... Because I remember, like, the guards had met me on the stairs and I know I'd lost consciousness a few times and they were worried. But also, Peter Whelan was outside. He had come back to the scene of the crime, changed his clothes. Uh, she'd gone home, washed up, changed his clothes. He had come back up all the way up their driveway, all the way up to the front of the house where my mom and dad were. And my mom had already been in to see me I needed to step outside and take a breath of fresh air. I mean, she had seen her daughter cut to ribbons and didn't understand what was happening. And she actually engaged in a conversation with him and a family member outside. So I was inside being assessed and hadn't been taken away yet because they were aware that he was out the front. You know, it was, it's madness, this aspect of it. You you were able to give the investigating detectives a very accurate description of Nicholas Killer and your attacker. And I spoke, yeah. I spoke last year with one of the senior detectives uh, on air who was, he said it was the worst case he ever had to investigate. But he, he said mm-hmm. that uh, your description was incredibly accurate. Um, and that when he went outside, he couldn't believe that the man that you had described was standing yeah. in the driveway. And he, he yeah. approached him. Um, yeah. Are you aware what um, the, what Whelan said to him? Um, I know. I've been told that. I mean, he things along the lines of he shouldn't should have done more to ensure I was dead. I think might have been correct. What was said at the time? Yeah. And Sinead- and I know even following that, when the guards escorted him to his house to find other weapons, he had, he had another weapon as well. That they were worried he was going to turn and attack them too, you know. This is someone who was known to the guards in, in the community because of previous behaviours. In fact, on that night there was the allegation of uh, attempted assault in a pub uh, with a yes. glass with a glass ashtray. His 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 temper was up that evening and um the Nicola yeah, and Sweeney Foundation only- says that he was out to do harm that night. 
yes, he was. And, and, you know, that's when you have to look at the mindset of this person because he had such kind of dangerous criminal behavior before that. And he had attacked, I think it was guards' daughters with Hurley's on New Year's Eve. And he had gone away to a rehab facility and had acted like a, a model participant there. And I think his mind was that he wouldn't be then punished. And then two weeks after coming out of this facility, that was the night that the summons was waiting for him at home, the night that Nicola was... was Got the summons and then came to do his evilness upon Mm -hmm. you. Um, Yeah. Do you think, do you believe that Nicola's intervention distracting Whelan on the night uh, ultimately saved your life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because you have to bear in mind as well he what he had his eyes on Nicola so I don't think he was as aware that I was throwing my arms into the knife and I mean obviously I still have wounds in my chest and my stomach and my back as well but he was because there was with that going on he wasn't he was distracted in a sense from knowing how much damage he had done to me you know did he speak at all that night no no never then, of course, you were brought to hospital. Um, and Yeah, actually, so at, at this stage, I remember in the ambulance, I, I had been told that Nicola had been taken to another hospital because they, did, they weren't able to tell me she had died because they weren't too sure how I'd react. So at this point, I was being told, oh, you know, they, everyone needs to help you at this hospital. I think it was the CEO. H and Nicola has gone to another hospital because I kept asking, well, where is Nicola? Where is Nicola? I don't understand. Where is Nicola? And I remember being woken up a few because I had some initial wounds treated and prepped for surgery in the morning and things. And I remember someone coming in to me and just saying, look, Sinead, this is, you know, we need to tell you that, that Nicola has died. Nicola has passed away. And for me, that was that was just heartbreaking. That was when things really because at that stage I felt it was something that had happened to the two of us that we would overcome and then to hear that it just it took it to another level altogether you know I remember just being very very down from that point whereas in the hours before that it was you know you're you're in survival mode and you know you you you're, you feel you're both alive and and you're going to be okay yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and that really that's when things really took a turn then for me to to really hear that information was 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 unbelievable you know and then you had to go through many many years of rehab um a lot of it was trip after trip up and down to dublin your family were terrific nicholas family had to grieve and still grieve to this day and then and then of course there was the, we had the, the, the trial the court you know? case and that was that was incredible because the judge just talk me through that. Were you there? Yes, I was there. Going, I mean, some of it is so much of a blur. And I remember traveling up there and being so nervous and anxious about having to face him again because I knew he'd be in, in the courtroom that day and and how that was going to go and things. And I just, you know, even now I've heard back from reporters who were there at the time we still talk about how chilling it was, the lack of remorse in that room, how arrogant you could just feel it in the courtroom and I had to take the stand and talk to the judge about how this had impacted my life. How old were you at this stage, Sinead? 
I would have been 20. I was 19. I was 19 when Nicola died. Okay, I was almost 20 old. when Nicola died. So, yeah, I was 20. Oh, my God. And, and yeah. Whelan is there. No remorse. Um, None. No expression of sorrow or apology, anything like that? No, no, just nothing, nothing. And, and even, like, staring at me in an intimidating manner as I'm walking up, you know, was was and my experience of that. And it's easy for me to, to feel that there was no remorse in the courtroom. But then to hear that back from from people unrelated to the case who were there that day reporting it on or whatever, that it was something that has, has stayed with them until this day, you know, kind of thing. I think, you've been, I think you were incredibly strong and incredibly brave to go through the ordeal, to go through the court case too, um, in, in such a you know, positive and uh, confident manner, stand up in the court and tell your version of events and how you felt. And the judge then, in spite of the guilty pleas, did something that was quite extraordinary, isn't that right, with regards to sentencing? Yeah, because it was actually with Judge Carney, who's who's passed away. But it was a, a groundbreaking case in, in Irish legal history because it was the first time consecutive sentencing had actually been used. And it was because he deemed Whelan to be such a danger to the society that he needed to do whatever he could to ensure he served the maximum amount of time possible within prison, you know. And so... It was he was given fifteen years for attempted murder and a life sentence. But I think the way in which the verdict went, it would be he was to serve a life sentence first, and then fifteen years for attempted murder on top of that. But then I know he appealed that straight away, so then there was his appeal very quickly, you know. Um, but then Judge Carney just switched the sentencing around, which would be that he would have to serve fifteen years first for attempted murder, and then serve his life sentence. And with time off and all this kind of thing, that 15 turns into a 12, doesn't it? And then the life kicked in. Yeah, it turned into 11. 11. And uh, he's almost, I think, coming up to about the seven years now within two, with, uh, of the life sentence. Okay. So but he even did- with that, I mean, I, I didn't even know that, that he had, had gotten time off or anything like that, or that he had even fulfilled my sentence. You didn't know when he moved from your sentence conviction into Nicola's life. All this information came to me from prime time last year. Yeah, I recall it. And how did you you feel then when you heard that he had had multiple escorted day visits um, every three months to Cork? That was... seriously traumatic like as it was, it was this time last year I think we're in July last year it really knocked me for six it was a lot of information coming at me it was prime time we're doing an investigation this was happening Whelan had been in Cork where I had been do you know what I mean I could have I could have seen him on the street I know he would have been escorted by three parole officers or whatever but that just blew my mind it really took a lot out of me mentally receiving that information, I have to say. Uh, did it frighten you? Oh, of course. I mean, I'd only been back, I've only been back in Cork about four years and at a stage where I felt like, oh, I could finally, you know, feel like I could start living a life and that I kind of was feeling kind of safe and secure here. And then for that to happen was so shocking to me. And I felt, I went through a lot of emotions. I mean, I was like, 
like there's something you know I was just like what is going on here like is there something corrupt going on here I don't understand how I haven't been informed of this yes yes I couldn't get my mind around that and were you aware were you aware over the years say for instance of all of the spurious appeals that were being brought I mean was that not tormenting for you and your family all those appeals and also for the O'Leary family yeah, because I mean, I even remember back in 2010, I was in Central America, I was in Costa Rica, and I was t- at a time trying to really challenge myself to be okay with being on my own of an evening in the dark. I was staying in a cabin on my own in the mountains. My friend had left. I was staying up every night for weeks. I wouldn't sleep through the night out of absolute fear. And I'd I'd sleep during the day and I'd still do it every day. I wouldn't give up. Because I was like, no, I have to get to a place where I can go to sleep at night, where I'm not afraid. And that's what I was doing in 2010. And what Whelan was doing in 2010 was appealing to the European courts for his human rights, saying that a life sentence was a violation of his human rights, is what was happening in 2010, you know? Yeah, so for both families, of course, that was, as I said... Yeah, and he hadn't even began to serve his life sentence at that stage. And he was already appealing to the European courts. Um, Much of that is facilitated, of course, by a thing called free legal aid. You're aware of that, you know? It would be very difficult for us to criticise free legal aid, however, because everybody going through the court process is entitled to a defence. But one wonders whether one should be entitled to numerous appeals on free legal aid. Yeah, exactly. And the, the continuous use of resources in, in that respect, too, because, I mean, you earned the impression that someone is in prison to be rehabilitated and reformed. But first and foremost, in, in that journey, there's accountability for what you've done and remorse for and accountability and responsibility for the crimes that you've committed, which have never that has never been shown by Whelan. Never. Do you, you know? think that it might well be shown when he comes up for, I think there's a parole hearing this year, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, of course, because he's played that before. I mean, because, you know, as I was saying, when he was in the rehab facility, you know, you talk to people and you heard reports back that, I mean, he was just a model participant there. I mean, it was shocking to everyone that two weeks later he went on to murder someone, you know. He's a very calculated person, uh, very Machiavellian. The fact that he was able to come back to the house a few minutes later um, after the atrocities that he had committed and act so cool. I mean, his behaviour, I don't know. And do you believe, and I, I think I'm right in saying you do believe it because I've seen it in quotes, that he's a danger and that if released on patro- parole, he'll, he'll kill again? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. 100%. You don't think all those I mean, years in jail will have taught him a lesson? I don't think so because there hasn't been at any point, you know, it's not like at the start of his sentencing, he sat back and actually thought about what he did because he was immediately appealing it. I know what He you was mean. immediately appealing it. Yeah, yeah. So at what point was he sitting there remorseful, accountable for anything done? No point. He's constantly been fighting from day one and it for me it goes hand in hand with that mentality that he lost it the night that he got a summons that he believes he's above the law or, or whatever it is, you know, kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Or or if I'm if I'm going down for that, I'm gonna go down for something bigger with it. Yeah. And I just, yeah, and I mean, you know, there's, you know, you read the reports, I mean, over 50% of prisoners that re-release, re-offend, 
I mean, especially for someone like Whelan, who I believe is a psychopath, you know, the, the prison, the prison in the real world are two very different places and there's very different triggers. And it's, you know, he'd obviously be able to control himself in a manner there that he might not I know be what you're saying so yeah, yeah. but I suppose yeah. just for the record let us just say that with all of the assessments and him in jail he was never found to be psychiatrically unwell was he not that I'm aware of okay. I okay. mean this is just your lack of information this is your there. opinion yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. Yeah. and now mm-hmm. explain to me because this is very important to you there are there are suggested changes new legislation um, to aspects of the par- of, of parole in this country, isn't that right? Um, uh, and yeah, this has been delayed. It has, as in this this bill has been in has been going on since two thousand and sixteen, and then say last year when Prime Time exposed that because you have to understand with Whelan with getting these releases for the last few years he would have already met a parole board or had some sort of hearing for that to happen all of which was unconstitutional because he was only a few years into a life sentence he wasn't at the minimum seven years into a life sentence Mm. so none of that should have been happening to begin with and i mean obviously prime time was looking for answers and we were looking for answers last year but all that was brought back to us from the department of justice as always is we can't comment on individual cases but there's this new parole act and this is going to offer you this that and the other but yet here we are a year later and me and Nicholas family are obviously getting very anxious and worried that the parole process could start this year we're told by representatives it should apply to him retrospectively but we don't have any concrete evidence that that's actually going to be the case and that new legislation yeah the new legislation would dictate that there'll be no parole hearing for until you're 12 years into uh, a life sentence yeah and there's yeah, and then there's more opportunities for the victims to interact with the parole board and for oral submissions about the, the impact of this person being released and what that would mean for them. So there's a little bit more power then for the victims. And even I know Charlie Flanagan himself acknowledged that, that seven years was very distressful for the victims and for the families and victims and that, that you know, he believed that this act is, is a positive change in the right direction, but we're, I mean, it's a year later, we're sitting there, it hasn't not, you know, it hasn't are you telling Are you telling me that correct me if I'm wrong, but at a parole hearing, are you saying that a victim or a murder victim's family don't get to give their point of view at a parole meeting? A parole hearing? They, so, well, they would get to submit Oh, I know, um, but that they wouldn't be able to physically go in, sit down and talk no. to the Oh my God, no. that's, Before, that's very wrong no. Yeah, so I know. And and that's why this act was so important. And, it, you know, we felt some sort of relief at the time as if, OK, you know, th- there's change being made to make things just the slightest bit easier for us to give us a voice to acknowledge that we have pain and suffering and, you know, that, that these releases greatly affect us. And it's like we're still waiting. We're still waiting, you know. So there's, you would be actively calling on Helen McEntee, the Justice yes. Minister, to get this done ASAP. Yes, yes, of course. I mean, there's so many, the families of victims out there, this would offer a small bit of peace of mind, even just with the timing as well, to, to ensure that it would be 12 years into a life sentence before this process of parole would even begin. It's, it's so important because here's you know, my worry, the- yeah. But here's my worry is that you know when people are getting escorted day releases on a regular basis, it's almost as if they're getting ready for release. 
Yeah, and, and my other issue with that was at the time when this was exposed, Charlie Flanagan accused us of conflating temporary release with parole. And, you know, that's just kept what well, we kept being told that, um, you know, as if to say that we were overreacting. But according to the Criminal Justice Act, there's only three reasons these temporary releases happen. They're to assess ability to reintegrate, they're to, to prepare for release, and the third is to help with an investigation. We know he wasn't helping with an investigation when he's been in prison as long as he had. So they are preparing him for release. That is what's happening. And furthermore, even after it was exposed that it's unconstitutional that he would have been getting them so early in a sentencing, he was due for another one in March of this year, which I'm assuming didn't go ahead because of lockdown. Who knows? That, that's all I know about it, you know? What would you like to see happen with Peter Whelan? He has served in and around 19 years now, but if you had the choice, what would it be? What would it be? I mean, first and foremost, for him to actually fulfil the sentence that was handed down by Judge Carney um, would be a priority for me. Um I mean, I do believe, I believe he'll kill again. You know, I do. I do in my heart. I really do. And I think he, he's going to be a danger to society. And it's, it's, I think it's inevitable that when he is released, that there is going to be more bloodshed. And it's really hard to sit back and know that that's going to happen. But what I'd also like to see, and it's something that I think should definitely be instated, is exclusion zones. And that when I do get my opportunity to talk to the parole board, it is something that I'm going to address, is that I don't think he should be allowed in Cork. I think it's a very small ask. I think he should be banned from Cork to give me and the Sweeneys an opportunity to actually live our lives. Because I've spoken with them as well about this. I mean, if he was to, when he is to be released, I don't think any of us could live in Cork anymore. In the knowledge that he could potentially be around, yeah. Yeah, because of course he would be, because he's taken all his day releases in Cork, you know? Kind of, it's not like he's taken his day releases that he's had so far in other parts of the country. He hasn't. So, if and when he is, he would, he, he undoubtedly would come back to Cork. And you're saying, speaking for yourself personally, that would mean you'd have to live, leave the city you love. Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. It is. It is. I mean, I've, my life has been, you know, I live with, life-changing physical injuries but I mean the mental trauma is 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 a lot more difficult I find you know and to have to have done so much to have to leave to have done so much work and really pushed myself so far in order to feel safe again to come home to come home to my family to my friends you know to really have that support system and to think again that I could be uprooted from all of that it's very hard to really settle and move on with my life then when I feel like that that's something becoming very quickly you know sounds to me as if you were given the life sentence you know that yes yeah I know and for all all the families you know whose whose children loved ones are are victims of crimes like this that they're all living life sentences yeah absolutely and we need to hear from victims like you on your behalf and on behalf of Nicola and I'll tell you why a lot of the time the passage of time softens the crime you know yeah and it's just i think it's so hard when you're dealing with such trauma it's so hard to speak out about it you know um it's very difficult to ask that of people who've been who've suffered that much and who've suffered that loss and it's you know it's again why i'm speaking publicly about it again because i mean i'm trying to appeal 
to Helen McAtee to, you know, really take a step forward with, 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 with victims and communications with victims to give us a voice, to give us, to make us included, you know, in this process. I'm going to send her a copy of this conversation between you and I uh, and uh, encourage her and beseech her to sit down and listen to the half an hour chat that we've had together. It may well make a difference. Mm-hmm. How are you now? Do you have nightmares? I was I was okay up until this with the when everything came out last year with prime time it kind of set me back a big way I found so Do you get flashbacks been, of the event? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do, you know. Oh, I always yeah. do, but I've always been very vocal about I always make sure to talk about my trauma all the time to to people close to me and to not to not um let it do you know, not let it be something that's like a box under the bed that you can't open. I've always been yeah. very open determined yeah. Yeah. to be open about it, you know. And to your best pal all those years ago, um, do you think about her a lot, Nicola, and what she would yeah, have done I with do. her life? Yeah, of course. And especially like, you know, you, do you know, Nicola was just coming into her own. She was 20 years of age. I mean, a beautiful, vivacious girl. She just had so much going for her. She wanted to pursue a, a career in PR which she would have been amazing at you know everyone loved Nicola everyone loved Nicola everyone loved seeing what Nicola was wearing she was just you know she was a very influential person that way as well and, and you know you, it's always when you have milestones in your life you're always taken back to where Nicola would be at this stage in her life you know what what would her life be now in, in her late 30s like who would she be you know what would she have achieved you know it's very sad you know how such a young life can be snuffed out like that. Yeah, and then that's it. And then you see now that, that someone three or four years into the sentencing for her attempted murder is back in, sorry, for her murder is back in, in Cork on day releases. Like, it's, it's just shocking, you know. Let us see what happens in that regard uh, with the new legislation, with the new justice minister. Uh, mm-hmm. COVID hasn't helped things because everything's a bit up in the air, but talking out certainly does help. And I'm so yeah, grateful. Yeah, but then also as well, COVID has shown us how quickly legislation can be passed. Correct. And what how quickly things about? can be put through. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. so, you know, there shouldn't be any more excuses with this now. And, uh, you know, I really hope that the wheels really are, are put in motion and this act is brought into operation because it hasn't been fair to offer this to us as if to appease exposing what was going on and um, with this unconstitutional behavior or whatever to have been given this act and then it's it, you know it's not to be followed through on well you know. also we need to look at this issue of you know a life sentence do you believe finally and and i will park it at that point do you believe that life should be life you take a life case, you serve life yeah. yeah i think so and and more so and I suppose everything, you know, you've got, to, you've got to look at every case individually, I suppose. And definitely, I mean, I'm very good at taking my, my, myself out of a situation and my personal thoughts to it and looking at things black and white and rationally. And I do believe a life should be a life. And I do believe that Whelan will always be a danger to society. Because I do believe he, so. Because he tried to kill you as well as killing your mm-hmm. best friend. Yeah. And, as, and the lack of remorse. The, yeah, the, yeah since doing so Sinead thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to chat with me I do appreciate it thank you very much take care of yourself thank you okay bye now 
The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And you can text 086-8104-106. And my thanks to Sinead O'Leary, a super, super young woman. I'm obliged to her for taking the time to chat with me. If you have been the victim of crime or if you were in any way perhaps upset or disturbed by my conversation, then you can call Support After Crime Services. They're on Anglesey Street. The number is 4320555. Sally Hanlon heads up the service, Support After Crime Services, 4320555. In other business, um, I'm pretty much out of time for the day, but for tomorrow's programme, which is looking chocker already, I will be setting aside a lot more time to share emails and texts on different topics on air this morning in the recent days. For those of you that got in touch with me, including those that have been emailing with regards to pay your bills. We have money to give away this week uh, and I want to do a lot of the texts and emails and calls on that tomorrow. But I want to finish on it this morning and wish the best of luck to Chloe. Chloe, good morning. Good morning, Neil. As we say in Cork, you have a, an operation coming up that needs to have your head shaved in advance of it. Am I right? Um, I'll go in tomorrow and they'll do it kind of when they're in there. So it, I don't have to do it like before going. No, they'll do it. You sound you sound <laughs> fairly confident about it. I mean, even though it's an operation on part of your head, is it serious? Um, it's just it's been something that's been in the makings for a while. Um, I've had trouble with my ear kind of all my life and it's it's kind of a bigger operation so they did little ones first to see would they work um, building up to this then. But I'm actually okay about it because I was supposed to have it um, the week after lockdown was brought in so I've been waiting for this for a while now so I'm just like ready to get it over and done It's called a mastoidectomy, is it? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Okay, so you want to get it done so you can get on with your life. But there will be an issue regarding your hair Afterwards, um, and yeah. you're in the you're in the you're in the market for hair extensions. I'm told, is that right? Yes, that's it. It's just to kind of, I suppose, give me a little bit of confidence back after I get it done because I oh, would I have quite long hair and stuff. So I'll be missing a, a chunk, a considerable chunk, I think. So just to kind of cover it over and and help restyle it while I get used to having a bit of a bit of a side shave. Absolutely. I mean, it's very important. You know, your crowning glory. Yeah, so let let it. let us get on board on that. What kind of money are we talking about for extensions? Um, I went for a consultation and it came out as 550 euro for the extension, which is an awful lot. But are you a young student? I'm not no, I'm 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 working away in um in in City West, actually. In, <laughs> so, so you, sound about, you sound about 17. Ernest, oh, do you? I? <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I have a bit of a baby face as well, I'm told. Oh, so good stuff. <laughs> You've got a lot going for you then. Okay, so how much will you put towards Have any few Bob to put towards it at all? I do, actually. Do you know what? I was very lucky. It was my birthday yesterday, so my Happy family were very birthday. good to me. Happy birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday. Birthday in luck. Because you, you yesterday you had to isolate before you go in for the operation, so there wasn't much celebrating. So how much will you put towards it? Um, I kind of, I have about two, three hundred at the moment, so I'd be so grateful for anything at all. I'll, I'll leave you with some money, right? If you have three hundred, put two hundred towards it and we'll pay three fifty. How about that? Oh my God, I'll just... <laughs> That leaves you with a hundred euros. I wouldn't take all your money off you. <laughs> You're, oh my God, you have no idea how much that means to me. I'm so grateful. Okay, well, listen, good luck tomorrow. You want to get it done with. Get the hair sorted when you get back and we'll put 350 to it. All right, girl, take care, Chloe. Bye.
so much. Thank you. Let me know how the operation goes in the next week or so. I will. Okay, bye. I will, of course. Thanks, Neil. Take care. I'm going to love you and leave you for the day. And we'll do an awful lot more of this tomorrow, I promise you that. Our lines will stay open at one 106 Thanks to Balancholic Credit Union. We'll have some more fun with that tomorrow and the rest of the week. So text 086-8104-106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.